0: The bills make me wanna shout, kick your heels up and shout, throw your hands up and shout, throw your head back and shout, come on now, the bills are making it happen now, stand up now, come on and shout, yeah, 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 say you will, shout it right now, baby, say you will, come on, come on.
1: I was shouting yesterday, too. Just not in favor of the Buffalo Bills. Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 16th of January. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for spending some of your valuable time with me here today. And there you go, Bills Mafia. All you Sopranos out there. I hope you enjoyed the game yesterday. And the big win for your football team over the team that I have cheered for all my live long life, which is the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's okay. Best of luck winning your first Super Bowl this year, Buffalo. If you are successful in so doing, you'll only be five behind my football team. That's right. My football team has won six Super Bowl championships. But I'll just leave that right there. And let Bill's fans enjoy their moment. You deserve it. Played a good game in less than ideal conditions yesterday. I mentioned to you that I was all decked out in my Pittsburgh Steelers gear while at work yesterday. Walked down the hall first thing in the morning into the studio of our sister station, Chime 96.7, where one half of the Brady and Terra morning show That being Brady is a huge Bills fan. And he said some things to me to make it clear that I was not welcome in that studio yesterday morning. (laughs) So I quickly left. Brady came into this studio this morning not wearing anything Buffalo Bills. No, no, just poked his head in, gave me a little wave, and turned around and walked away. And I guess that's kind of the way Bills fans and the Buffalo Bills football team treated Pittsburgh yesterday. Just shoot. Would you please get out of the way? We've got bigger fish to fry and Taylor Swift's boyfriend to see next week when the Bills will take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Once again, I hope you enjoyed the start to the show today. Bills Mafia. Enjoy your moment as long as it lasts. That's the great thing about the football playoffs. It's not a seven-game series. One and done. If you don't win, you're out. (laughs) You can always join us and be in on this program, 519 570 star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Email is also accessible, mike at 570news.com, and on social media, x at Farwell underscore wr, same with Instagram, uh, and our Facebook page is there as well, facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. I don't think that Mother Nature got the memo. I suggested yesterday that uh, perhaps, just maybe, we could make an arrangement. You can keep it cold because people that like snow need to have it remain for a little bit while longer, get their winter activities taken care of, do their snowmobiling, do their skiing, their snowboarding, all that fun stuff, build some snow people. Go ahead. Absolutely. But I didn't think we were going to get any more snow. At least that's what I asked for. A little bit of a greasy drive this morning, and our Luke Schultz was uh, one of the busiest people in the newsroom. But that's why we pay him the big bucks. Don't worry about it; he'll be just fine. It is nine minutes after nine. One, two, three,
2: four,
3: five, six, nine ten. Let's take
1: a look at your Farwell show. Five things to keep in mind for today: Former U.S. President Donald Trump has scored the first victory of the 2024 presidential primary season. He had a sweeping and broad-based win in the Iowa Republican caucuses last night. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley were a distant second and third, respectively. Is it going to be another Trump-Biden showdown at the polls in the American presidential race? I think it will be. Uh, Number two, you are invited to a community town hall tonight to learn more about plans for a new hospital in the region. The town hall takes place at the main branch of the Kitchener Public Library at 7 p.m. Now, this is a ticketed event. You were able to pick up tickets starting last week. If you didn't get a ticket because there is limited space, that's okay. This town hall is also going to be broadcast on Rogers TV Cable 20 tonight, so you can check in on that. I just want to let you know, though, I'll give you a little heads up here. They're not going to tell you the sites that have been shortlisted. That's not part of this. But you can learn more about the plans and how all the work is going and what this hospital means to our community. That town hall tonight from 7 until 9. Number three on your Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. There is an internet online fraud prevention talk being hosted by the Centre Wellington OPP. That's taking place at Central Church in Centre Wellington. That's in Alora Tonight at 7.30. Number four, changes to family law that took effect in British Columbia yesterday could make decisions over the issue of pet custody easier for families going through breakups. So instead of treating pet custody like property issues, the courts will now consider a person's ability and willingness to care for an animal and relationships between a child and an animal in making those custody arrangements. Uh, A little bit of precedent set out there in British Columbia. And I have no problem if this sort of thing spreads. If I've not said it before, we don't deserve dogs. And number five on your Farwell show, five things to keep in mind for another day. A trio of shows led by the HBO drama Succession dominated the 75th Emmy Awards last night. Succession was a winner of six awards, including Best Drama Series and Best Acting Awards for Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin. If you watched Succession, by the way, uh, Sarah Snook, who played Shiv, she deserves, I believe, the Best Acting Award because, oh my goodness, if you didn't loathe her... I mean, I think every character in the show was supposed to be unlikable, I still look back on watching that series and I wonder to myself, like, that's a lot of time invested watching a show about people that you didn't like one bit. If you found somebody to like on that show, you're a better person than I am. Anyway, Kieran Culkin also uh, winning one of those awards. And then FX's The Bear, which I've been hearing good things about. Maybe I have to check it out. Uh, That won Best Comedy and several acting honors while the Netflix limited series Beef won five trophies at last night's 75th emmy awards it is nine thirteen. that is your farewell show five list of things to keep in mind for this day I, I was listening yesterday afternoon and i suspect you were as well because i heard many a familiar voice on the talkback hour with rob yesterday afternoon but he brought up uh our efforts to combat climate change. And a couple of things are on my mind as far as that goes this morning. Number one is I got my, I guess, carbon tax payback. I don't know what it was, but it showed up in my bank account yesterday. And and I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of what is, we're told anyway, a revenue-neutral application of something whereby the tax is applied, but then you get at least as much, if not more, back put into your bank account for what you paid into the fund overall. So, I don't know. How much is this supposed to change my behavior then as an individual? If you're just giving me back what it is that I already spent or paid into the tax and then what you end up with is really just an expensive layer of administration at the federal government don't you another layer of bureaucracy administering a program that gives back what it collects i'm not sure how to square that circle necessarily and of course the other thing on my mind regarding our efforts and i'm i'm sure yours as well is what we are hearing from out west where it is i mean you think it's cold here Today and has been for the past couple of days. Well, how would you like to be into the minus 40s and minus 50s like our friends in Alberta, British Columbia, parts of Saskatchewan, etc.? And in Alberta, uh, there is a concerted effort to have residents conserve electricity for fear of brownouts. Now, we usually hear about these things in the summertime when demand for air conditioning goes through the roof. But right now, there is so much demand for heat. They're warning of these possible brownouts. And could you imagine if it's minus 50 outside and you can't keep the heat going inside? And of course, the broader implication here is if we are currently in such a precarious state in 2024 that we don't have capacity within our power grid to keep us warm in a really cold winter, Where are we going to be in 11 years when the idea is every vehicle sold in this country is an electric vehicle? They're asking you to not even charge those electric cars in Alberta right now in an effort to preserve the energy in the power grid. If we can't keep up today, how are we going to keep up when the demand is even greater a decade from now? These are the things that are on my mind, and if you have the answers to these questions. I mean, I got $122 put into my bank account yesterday. I I don't know what I spent out in terms of, I mean, I I fill up with gas for my automobile once every three weeks or so. I I don't know if I've paid $122 in carbon taxes since the last time they put money into my bank account. And how are we going to have enough power tomorrow if we are on the brink of not having enough power today? These are the questions that... Occupy my mind on a Tuesday morning. It is 9.17. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Coming up on 9.21, nine minutes away from your update in the City News Center, and then we'll move into a conversation about the future of the Prime Minister's path in Wilmot Township, a motion brought forward at Wilmot Council's meeting last night. We'll get into that just over 10 minutes from now. Uh, Maybe a cautionary tale out of the City of Guelph when it comes to our region's plans to aggressively expand the number of speed cameras it has in place. As you know, we've talked about it at some length on this show. The plan is by 2028 to have 175 speed cameras here in this region and to administer, have the administration center set up locally to process all of those tickets. In the city of Guelph, they have four speed cameras that have generated about $30,000 in revenue in the first three months of operation. But where the cautionary tale portion of this story comes in is from folks who have received tickets from these speed cameras in Guelph because what's happening is there is a lag between the camera catching you speeding and the ticket being delivered. And so what ends up happening, residents are complaining, and in fact, one of the ward councillors in Guelph, uh, Leanne Caron, who's the Ward 5 councillor, says she's even received a couple of tickets herself, but the complaints she's receiving have outnumbered even the number of emails she received around the city's budget. Because what's happening is with the delay, the camera catches you speeding, and so the tickets about to be processed and while it's being processed you don't receive the ticket and have the opportunity to adjust your driving behavior before you get another ticket and then another one and some people are getting 7 or 8 tickets all at once in the ma- in the mail uh, and resulting in fines of more than 1000 dollars and they're saying hang on a second here this isn't fair because we need the opportunity to adjust our behavior. Send us a ticket, let us know what we did wrong, and then we will adjust accordingly. Instead, you're just going about your business not knowing you did wrong, and next thing you know, you get five, six, seven, even eight tickets in the mail at one time. Also, for what it's worth, the average speed across all of the tickets issued by this particular or these speed cameras in Guelph, 46 kilometers per hour. Now, if you're setting it at 30, you are 16 or 50% over the posted speed limit. But 46 kilometers per hour is the average speed across all infractions. And drivers in Guelph, a little bit concerned, thinking that, hey, We're not even getting the opportunity to do better before you pile up the tickets and send us more than $1,000 in fines. Yeah, I might call that a bit of a bumpy road on the way to speed camera success in the city of Guelph. Again, it's not too late for this region to reverse course on the plan for 175 such cameras, but we'll keep our eyes and ears on that. Uh, I want to go to an email I got from Laura following the show yesterday, who writes to Mike at 570news.com. Following our conversation with Andrew Perrin, you may remember that yesterday, just after 9.30, we spoke to Andrew about a really difficult situation where his father-in-law was admitted to hospital, and in the patient transfer, it took 11 hours to have his father-in-law offloaded from an ambulance gurney into hospital care. We hear about these offload delays all the time, but when it hits you personally, it certainly can be a challenging experience. Laura writes to Mike at 570news.com, this very sad situation unfortunately happens all the time. In this situation, a palliative care team could have possibly helped this family spend time with their dying father instead of in the waiting room. The hospital is no place to spend the last hours of your life. It happens too often. The hospitals are full of individuals in need of long-term care placement. My parents are living at home with dementia. Care is limited. Wait lists are impossibly long. My father has been on the wait list for several years and is still 400-plus on the list. I went part-time in my nursing job to try and meet my parents' needs and fill in their gaps. The new hospital, by the way, remember that town hall tonight, is a dream in the distance so far down the road. The process is taking far too long, in my opinion. The two hospitals, which I have and, an, and, an, and am employed at, pardon me, are falling apart and maxed to the brim for space. We still have 10-plus years to go before ground is even broken on this new hospital. Laura is spot on. We're building condos and housing everywhere in this region, and there is no health care for any of these new residents. The cities are excited at the prospect of this growth, but there's no infrastructure to care for these people. Health care isn't there for them. Health care isn't collapsing. It has collapsed, and the problems are far deeper than the small part of ambulance waits and ER backups. That from Laura to Mike at 570news.com following our conversation yesterday about those really that that really challenging situation where a man who was in his last days was stuck on the paramedic's gurney for eleven hours before he could be admitted to hospital and get the care. We are it's interesting that Laura writes from her experience as a nurse because Ontario's registered practical nurses are in Waterloo today to share their concerns with local elected officials. And we're going to hear from them, the nurses themselves, in a conversation this morning just after 11, so about 90 minutes from now. And it will follow up on much of what Laura just talked about. Off to the City News Centre, we go for an update. And then let's talk about those statues of Canadian Prime Ministers. You remember those? They're still in storage in Wilmot. What should become of them? We'll talk about it next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. This is where today's
0: topics turn into today's talking points.
4: It's local and it's
5: Democratic radio at its finest.
0: This is the Mike Farwell Show
5: on City News 570.
0: When I was campaigning, I would have to say that this was probably the number one issue at the door. I think it's fair to say that our citizens desire resolution and want their opportunity to have their voice heard. Uh, And this motion is designed to reopen and restart that conversation. I think ultimately the goal, at least in in my opinion, is that we want this township to heal and and come to a resolution that's agreeable. Personally, I think there's an opportunity here for a combination of facilitated community meetings in addition to potentially facilitating a referendum. I simply am asking for the information and encouraging us to move forward and start this conversation again.
5: The Mike Farwell Show continues
0: on City
6: News 570.
5: And Rogers TV Cable 20.
1: And that is Wilmot Councillor Chris Wilkinson, who last evening introduced a motion asking that staff in Wilmot Township come back with a report in about a month's time to help council and the community determine the best path forward, word used deliberately, for the Prime Minister's statues, which are currently in storage, which had at least one of them at one point stood outside township offices in Wilmot. And of course that statue of Sir John A. Macdonald was continually doused with red paint. It became this idea of the Prime Minister's path, a source of much contention in the community, and ultimately the previous council had the statues removed, placed into storage, and quite frankly, maybe many of us, at least outside Wilmot, had kind of forgotten about this, but... I like where Councillor Wilkinson is going with this motion. Let's get the conversation moving again and let's get the community involved in that conversation. Could it ultimately lead to a referendum whereby citizens in Wilmot Township take a vote to determine the future and whether or not those statues should return to some sort of prime minister's path? It could be that way, but we'll wait and find out what the report has to say on February the 26th when it comes back to council. Lillian Dunstall is the Ward 4 Councillor in the Township of Wilmot and joins us for a conversation. Lillian, good morning.
7: Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well,
1: thank you. How are you?
7: I'm doing pretty good, thanks for asking.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Uh, are, Are you doing as well when we talk about the Prime Minister's statues in Wilmot, which I know are a source of contention and really are something you heard an awful lot about while campaigning a year or so ago.
7: I cannot tell you how prevalent this topic was when I was door-knocking. When people did take the time to actually speak with me in every single conversation, um, this took center stage, believe it or not. Um, you know, I certainly had people discussing other issues, child care, safety, those types of things. But this by far took the lead on what was on their minds. Now
1: that it's sort of back on the table, at least as a conversation, do you think this is a direction we should be moving in?
7: Listen, I unless you, you live on planet Mars, um, you know about... Um, about this controversy and the media frenzy that descended upon a township of about 22,000 people. Um, there was national coverage and it painted this township, the entire township in a very bad light. People don't forget that. Um, and they felt bullied. They felt that if they spoke their mind and if they disagreed with uh, what was being said, that they were labeled. And so they kept quiet, but. Uh, when it came time to vote, they showed their dissatisfaction in their voting process.
1: And by that, Lillianne, do you mean the vote in the municipal election where the entire council was changed?
7: I do. I do. I know uh, speaking with my colleagues, this also uh, was a huge topic of discussion. Listen, when you when you tell people, um, and these these things were pretty interchangeable, we had white supremacists, racists, misogynistic, colonial, patriarchal. And then there was a whole new group um, that was developed, the middle-aged white men, um, which was upsetting to me because I'm married to one. But we were all lumped into this one category, um, and they felt bullied, and they wanted to speak, and they did.
1: It's not lost on me that at-council last evening while you were not discussing specifically what should become of the statues you and your colleagues were able to have a a civil conversation about a way to move forward are you pleased with how this is starting
7: i am i am listen i I appreciate that there are many different voices in our township and there were certainly people who who felt one way and people who felt strongly the other way um and i do think uh in our in ward four Uh, Mr. Uh, Council Martin and myself are very different um, in our ideologies, but we have both been able to have discussions where we disagree, where we start off disagreeing, but then end up uh, at a place where we agree. So and that gives me hope that we can do that here as well.
1: Would you ultimately like to see the community in Wilmot make the decision on this by way of a referendum?
7: That's a tough one. Uh, That's a tough one. Do I think that there's a possibility that there will be a referendum? Perhaps. But what I would really like to concentrate on, and, and Councillor Kressman talked about it last night, and he and I had had this conversation. We have an opportunity here. Believe it or not, the little Wilmot has an opportunity to show how you can deal with controversial issues including everyone's opinion and getting to a consensus where we all walk away with maybe not getting everything we want, but we all walk away accepting the, um, the the resolution. And I have to give our mayor, Mayor Salonen, props. She actually spent her own money and took a negotiating course at Oxford. So this was not cheap. And one of the reasons why she took that course was in order to help her when we start dealing with the Prime Minister's path. So you have people at the table who are seriously willing to hear everyone's opinion and then move forward. If we can do it that way, absolutely, that would be the best way. So that's where my hope is. Will there be a referendum? There very well could be. These people, these citizens feel like they did not have their voice heard, and they want to have it heard.
1: Based on how controversial these statues have been to date, How confident are you that the community can actually heal through this process, which was something that was discussed last night? This would be a way to help the community heal. Could it heal or might it be further divided?
7: Well, I mean, I guess that depends on how we handle it. You know, I think that the role of municipal government, especially when it's a contentious issue, is to turn down the temperature, not to turn it up. And and I think that if we handle it properly, listen, there are going to be people at each end um, that are going to be upset, I have no doubt. But I honestly believe that there's a huge chunk of people in the middle who just want this to be something that we can be proud of and something that we can all live with. And I am a firm believer that if we, when we have the Indigenous people at the table, that we can find a resolution amongst all of us um, so that we can move forward, um, minimizing <clears throat> any negative, any negativity. <clears throat>
1: Do you have a preference for what becomes of the statues?
7: I do. I do. But I was very adamant when I was knocking on those doors that this was not my voice. This was their voice. These people, 1,500 and something people voted for me, for me, to represent them, to have their voice at the table. So I will not be voting based on my uh, beliefs. I will be voting based on what my constituents want.
1: What would you like to see happen with the statues?
7: I would like for us to find a way to um, use them to educate. I delegated, uh, I think it was July 5th, and there were quite a few delegations, and most of them wanted to keep the statues. And my delegation was, I had no idea, and I, I listen, i am uh, I'm not a young chicken, so perhaps my memory fails me, but... The amount of information that I found out about, um, about John A. McDonald after this, uh, this issue came up was astounding to me that either I didn't remember or I didn't know. What an opportunity we have to teach our children that that there were some terrible things that happened in our country and some good things that happened in our country. Let's get all of the facts out there. Let's not bury them. I don't know any situation where when you bury something um, that it it comes to light. That's not putting it, that's not shining light on it. Uh, so I think we missed an opportunity. Does it go to referendum? I don't know. But I think, as I said, I think we have an opportunity to try to work together to make this something that's, that's plausible.
1: So just in terms of process, Lillianne, can you walk us through what happens between now and February the 26th? So just that folks understand what might be coming down the road.
7: Well, I mean, we have to wait for the report. I and mean, they're going to come back to us with some kind of uh, options. And I'd like to see many options. And and I would like to see, um, and I, I listen, I'm going to put it all out there, okay? I think that um, the way the media uh, pounced on this, Um, We had some toxic social media pages that um, hid behind anonymity because they didn't have the balls to stand up for what they believed in. Um, And I think that that kept feeding that narrative. So I want to hear from people who actually um, want to see the statues up and who don't want to see the statues up and have an intelligent conversation. Tell me why. Explain to me. There have been times in my life, in my previous position, where I was adamant on on a decision that I was making, and then someone pointed something out to me that I had not even considered, and it changed everything for me. And I think that that's something that we can do here.
1: Lillianne, I really appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here.
7: You are more than welcome. Anytime, anytime.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Lillian Dunstall is the councillor for Ward 4 in the township of Wilmot. I think it would be fair to say she doesn't mince words nor hide her preferences when it comes to what ultimately becomes of these statues currently in storage, but based on a motion brought forward at last night's council meeting in Wilmot by Councillor Chris Wilkinson staff in Wilmot Township will bring back a report at the end of February for council to consider options on how to move forward with what was once going to be a path of statues of all of the previous Canadian Prime Ministers, and then will determine the direction that the township goes. Could it be a referendum where citizens vote to determine the future? And based on what we just heard from Councillor Dunstall to really have their voice heard because so many, we are told, felt as though they were kept silent or they didn't get the chance to share that voice when this was at its hottest as an issue, let's say, in Wilmot Township. And and when that motion was brought forward last evening, it was in an effort to heal the community, because many of those councilors who spoke at the meeting last night talked about, and you heard Councilor Dunstall say it just now, when she was campaigning in late 2022, it was the issue, the dominant issue, at the door, and so she knows that this is something that residents of Wilmot are still actively engaged in and concerned with. And, you know, it struck me when Councillor Dunstall mentioned how she can have her mind changed when new information comes forward. She's not so closed-minded as to believe that this is the way and it's the only way. And, you know, it it occurs to me, I'm reflecting back on how prominent at least one of those statues was when the previous council in Wilmot was elected. And there was a picture that was widely circulated of several of those council members standing around one of those statues that ultimately that council decided needed to be put into storage. So they felt one way at one moment and their minds changed. And it sounds like Lillianne Dunstall is open to that same kind of change as she receives information. I'm glad the issue's back on the table because, quite frankly, I'd kind of put way back into the deeper recesses of my mind that these statues were even sitting in storage somewhere. Obviously, there's a cost for the storage. Maybe the ultimate decision will be to melt these statues down and be done with them. Maybe they consider building a museum for them. Maybe, they go back onto a prime minister's path right at the township offices with plaques beside them that explain the context. I don't know, but we'll wait for that report at the end of February and see what options become available to Wilmot Council to help move forward on this issue. What would you like to see happen? Hopefully, You feel comfortable enough sharing your voice through this program and not feeling as though you're being kept silent. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Paul sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Weren't there residential schools up until 1996? So isn't there for... isn't there... Therefore, a stain on every Prime Minister's record except for the last two? Put up the statues, but put a plaque on it to show this and other facts. Educate the people. Your thoughts always welcome on the program. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
7: I don't know any situation where when you bury something that it comes to light. That's not shining light on it. So I think we missed an opportunity. Does it go to referendum? I don't know. But as I said, I think we have an opportunity to try to work together to make this something that's plausible.
1: Is that possible? Is it possible for the community of Wilmot to heal from what was a very contentious issue over the past number of years. You heard Lillian Dunstall, that was her voice just there, Ward 4 Councillor in the Township, and she believes that those who felt they were silent during the debate around the Prime Minister's statues had their voices heard at the ballot box. The entirety of Wilmot Council was turned over in the 2022 municipal election so there are new faces all around that council horseshoe and following a motion brought forward last evening township staff will report back on february 26th uh, with a report for council to determine the future of the prime minister's path this could ultimately lead to a referendum whereby you, if you're living in Wilmot, get a chance to vote on the future of those prime ministers' statues. And I I just wonder, is it possible, with how deeply contentious this issue has been, to arrive at a solution, if you will, even if that comes to a referendum in the yes side, let's say, The yes side comes out on top and those statues are returned to some public place. Will those who come out on the other side of the vote feel as though due process was served? Can the community of Wilmot heal through all of this? It's going to be very interesting indeed. 519-570-2545, star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. As you know, Wilmot Township is not the only community in this country who has wrestled with reconciliation, wrestled with our past as a country, and wrestled specifically with Sir John A. MacDonald, one of the five statues that was a part of that Prime Minister's path. The idea being, as I said earlier... That ultimately, every previous prime minister would be remembered by one of these monuments. And the Sir John A. MacDonald statue was continually vandalized, as Councillor Lillian Dunstall pointed out. It absolutely was a situation where there was national media attention on little old Wilmot Township. Ultimately, the statues end up in storage. We know that statues of Sir John A. MacDonald have been removed from public places across this country. We know that a school in Waterloo had its name changed from Sir John A. to, what is it now, Laurel Heights, I believe we call it, in Waterloo instead of SJAM. There was a, a pub in Kingston, a pub that I had visited in the past called Sir John A.'s Public House. That has changed its name, and it goes on from there. So it will be very interesting to see if this effort begun last night can, can result, I mean, I, I get the feeling it'll result in some kind of closure, but depending on how that vote turns out, should this end up at a referendum, I don't know that the side that comes out on the wrong end or the losing end, if you will, of that vote is going to feel satisfied and walk away saying, you know what, due process was served, we did it this way, and while I don't agree, I'm okay. I don't know, because it was it was a pretty deeply contentious issue. And you know, not lost on me in this is the statue of Queen Victoria in Victoria Park in Kitchener, which I believe... Four times, I think, has been vandalized, doused with red paint. And the city of Kitchener brought in a consultant who eventually left the role and now Kitchener looking for a new consultant. And I thought something was to happen at some point this year, but there's nothing yet confirmed by the city as to what it's going to do. Some kind of public engagement, I would presume, on that Queen Victoria statue in Victoria Park. We'll get to a call quickly from Yvette before we get to our news update. Good morning, Yvette.
5: Hi, Mike. Um, I live in Baden. And so we were going through all this when uh, the statues were put up and then what happened afterwards. And I think what I wanted to call and say today is that, so I just had an anecdote, like a story that happened to us. So in the summer, right before the election, um, we were walking from our house to the Circle K, which is like right there near where uh, the Sir John A. MacDonald statue was. And at that time, there was the opposite protest going on. So the prime minister, the statue kept getting doused in ink. But then the rally started coming from out of town with the white supremacists. And we were just walking and just going for ice cream because, you know, in summer 2022, there's hardly anything to do. So we were getting out and we were accosted by a group of white supremacists. So we're a white family, blonde hair, blue eyes. And all three of us, so my daughter and then my husband and I, and the stuff that was coming out of their mouths, it was disgusting. So these people belong, look at these people, they belong, that's who should be here. It was horrifying. My daughter at that time, I think she was like 12 or 13, we weren't we couldn't let her bike around the neighborhood by herself. We were scared about who was coming into our neighborhood. So it goes way beyond what Paul was saying with the email about past wrongs of different prime ministers. It what it's what those statues represented and brought into our small tiny little community here. And it totally destroyed the fabric of what what we were what we have here so i am happy to see them gone if we have a referendum i am going to personally be knocking on every door and make sure there is an amazing turnout and to hear these stories and to know what's going on because whoa this gets me riled up
1: i can tell yvette thanks Thanks. for sharing that story it's important yeah thanks okay and there you go And it's one person's story from Baden, but it gives you an idea of how deep this issue runs. we got to get to a news update. And then let's talk about international students who are thriving in our community. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. When I say international students, what comes to mind? Students who are essentially propping up some post-secondary institutions in this province because they pay dramatically higher tuition, thereby becoming a little bit of a cash cow for those post-secondary institutions, right? Living in crowded overcrowded often spaces and paying exorbitant amounts for their housing because there is so little supply and so much demand and maybe even capping the number of international students that can be accepted by schools across this country that's the kind of story that we've been hearing over these last many months when it comes to international students but did you know that there are more than 200 full-time international students attending classes right now within our Waterloo Catholic District School Board. And more than three dozen of those are in elementary schools. And you might be surprised to learn how well these students are doing, certainly relative to their post-secondary counterparts. Dan Witt is the head of the international department at the Waterloo Catholic District School Board and joins us for a conversation Dan good morning good morning Mike how are you doing I'm doing pretty well thank you how are you uh not too bad uh
8: and uh, thanks for having me on
1: the show I, I'm really happy to have you here to talk about international students in a different light because I confess until I read about it I didn't even know we had international students within our elementary and secondary schools at the Catholic School Board can you tell me a little bit more about the program and how it works
8: For sure. Um, I mean, the international students that we have here are kind of part of, uh, I would say, a bigger vision that uh, came out in 2015 with uh, the ministry that really um, connected international students with, um, you know, programs for local students, connecting with regions abroad around uh, sharing expertise and whatnot, and then pathways to to post-secondary. But, you know, for our, our international student program, uh I'd say at the k to twelve sector like uh, elementary and secondary um, you know students are really well cared for I, I mean when they arrive um, they really have all the pieces in place um, our-, our our school district we we are we consider ourselves a full service model so you know from the time they they land at the airport uh, to the time they get back on the plane to go back home we really Uh, you know, wrap them
1: around with uh, supports. Um, For how long would they be staying? One academic year, longer? So we have students that will come for
8: uh, a semester, a year, and and some that do come for multiple years to earn a diploma and then continue on to post-secondary.
1: What sorts of supports, Dan, do you have in place? You mentioned from the moment they land at the airport until the time they return home. So, what do those supports look like for these students?
8: Well, like I would say, even as soon as we get a, a completed application, we, we, you know, start on an intake process. We uh, we work to get uh, a timetable in place long before they arrive. Um, you know, so when they arrive, we can really focus on. And, and actually, before they arrive, we already uh, uh, arrange for a homestay placement. Uh, we have two uh, locally-based homestay companies we work with that, you know, we've partnered with probably over 15 years now. And uh, so we have a really good, solid working relationship with them. Uh, We take on, the the school district takes on the role of custodian. And and so, and that's that's really, I'd say, a difference maker too in terms of, you know, in that role of custodian, we're the one that's really the advocate for the student. If there's ever an issue, you know, in a host family or in the school or, or anywhere in the community, we are there supporting the student and making sure that their best interests are, are at heart. And, um, you know, so that that is, I think, a, a big difference as well. Um, when uh, when students arrive, though, I mean, we have a, ho- uh, a homestay in place. We have a timetable in place. We, we encourage them to come a week earlier because we have a, a full Week orientation uh, before the start of the school year, and in that orientation, we do things like um, certainly icebreakers just to get them familiar with the other international students, but also connect them with local students so they start making those, uh, you know, forming those relationships and friendships in the schools. We'll do a tour of the region on the light rail transit. Um, we do some hiking, canoeing uh, near Allora. We do, um, you know, a trip to Canada's Wonderland, but just really kind of give them a good opportunity to, to settle in. Um, and then, uh, you know, once we get into the school year, like in all of our secondary schools, we have, you know, international support teams that really are just making sure that our students, you know, uh, our international students do form those connections with our local students. We don't want them, you know, just sitting quietly in the corner and, and not really engaging. We want them to become a part of our community and, uh, and, and share all of their culture that they they, they bring with them. Um, you know, each month we'll have a, a different sort of uh, social outing. Like we we certainly try to turn them into Rangers fans very early on in the the uh, their their stay. <laughs> I can support
1: that, Dan. I can support right. that. Yeah.
8: <laughs> you know, and if you can help us with that, Mike. You know, but uh, no, <laughs> honestly, uh, uh, things like that, getting out to bowling. Uh, Um, Just different uh, activities where, and actually a lot of volunteer things as well. Like they've um, they've gone out on a Saturday and done some uh, tree planting. Uh, They've done Friday night uh, fish fries with uh, seniors and things like that. So just lots of different ways to just get them connected.
1: It sounds to me like the ideal arrangement for an international exchange program of some kind. The students here benefit from learning from these students' cultures and experiences, and the international student being here also goes back home with those same experiences.
8: I I'd agree, and I think that really is kind of consistent with uh, like the, the guiding document that came out in 2015. It really did create that vision, and I'd say credit to my predecessors they i mean they embrace that and it, and it really i think um has made for a rich uh, program for for all involved uh, you know even our community partners uh um like our host families they 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 have amazing experiences with our, our students uh, that they're hosting so it it just um you know i think it really does uh uh you know fill everybody's bucket.
1: Do these international students pay any sort of tuition to attend our elementary and secondary Catholic schools?
8: For sure. I mean, they, they pay um, uh, marginally more than the, the GSN grant we would get uh, from the province for uh, you know, domestic students. Um, so they're covering um, all of those uh, the fees that uh, would be associated with our local students. They, they're responsible for covering those costs. And then in addition to that, um, they would cover their homestay uh, fees. And and all of that is paid, um, you know, before they arrive. So um, they're in a financially sound position. They're not, I mean, uh, in their host family, they get breakfast, lunch, supper uh, provided to them. Um, they'll participate in uh, family activities, uh, certainly uh, uh, at their choice and discretion. And um, But... You know, the only thing they really need to uh uh be financially responsible for is their, you know, their social time.
1: So more on that then when it comes to the host families, Dan, what yeah. what's required of a host family?
8: So a host family, uh again, we work with two local companies. So they do the screening, um, like they'll do police checks, they will, you know, uh inspect the home and, and kind of make sure that it's a suitable environment. To, uh for an elementary or high school student. And one point of clarification, for elementary students, um, you know, below uh, the age of 13, uh, they would be either coming with a a parent or guardian or staying with a blood relative uh, here. So um, it's only the students that are uh, 13 and up where we take on that role of custodianship.
1: Is there room for mo- more, pardon me, host families to participate in this uh, international student program?
8: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are always looking for uh, good quality homes for our students. Um, I mean, in addition to the, the full-time students we have, um, uh, this past year, we had close to 650 uh, short-term students that uh, were in our system. Um, about half of those, well, I would say two-thirds of those would have gone through um uh, the university residences through May, June, and July. Uh, but, um, you know, probably close to 200 of them would have been in, uh, homestays between uh, September and uh, April. And those are honestly another, uh, excellent, uh, experience for our host families, you know, because they, they get a nice diversity of cultures. We have students from Colombia, uh, Spain. <coughs> Korea, Japan, China, um, you know, going through some of our short-term programs. And uh, and so they would stay anywhere from typically four to six, but uh, potentially eight weeks. Uh, um, in, and those would be more school groups that are coming with teacher chaperones.
1: Do we know, Dan, if these students who come through this program at the elementary or secondary school level return later as international post-secondary students because i can only imagine that this sort of experience would kind of give them a leg up on that transition later in life
8: oh absolutely i mean we uh some of our um you know our short-term programs they are uh uh, the majority are elementary students so they could be students uh um, 10 11 12 years old coming with school groups for four weeks with teacher chaperones but uh, we certainly do get um, students returning uh, um, in later years coming to attend for a year or multiple years. Um, We have a a Spanish exchange we do with um, uh, uh, a couple uh, regions in uh, Spain where um, they they partner up with uh, students in our district. Uh, They will and it's a a true like one-to-one exchange. They'll come for uh, five weeks in um, uh, October, like September, October. And then uh, our students uh, actually just this February will have, uh, I believe, uh, 28 uh, heading over uh, to Spain um, in February and March. And uh, But we've certainly had students that have participated in that exchange that have uh, you know come in return for a, a year of study with us.
1: What about when it comes to... Uh... Student visas or study permits? Is it the WCDSB that is vetting these permits or these applications?
8: No, that's all. That's all through uh, um, IRCC. Right. Uh, so the the Canadian government. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: It is. Uh, it, it's just a terrific program. I can completely understand the benefits for all involved, and I'm I'm glad to hear there is a component i mean it must be a little bit unsettling considering the work that you're doing at the Waterloo Catholic District School Board to hear the other stories which are you know in in some cases really uh difficult to digest when it when it comes to post secondary international students i'm glad to hear that there's a program like this that's operating so well
8: well you know honestly it is it is very disturbing when i hear some of those stories and and i i think you know the unfortunate piece is like right now uh the K to 12 uh uh, public uh, sector is kind of getting lumped into the, the bigger conversation. And it really isn't uh, the same at all. I mean, I can speak for all of our public school districts, uh, you know, across Ontario and across Canada uh, that that really offer, I would say, uh, you know, a similar level of support, um, you know, and and the students that are arriving um, in our public schools, uh, again, across the, the country, they, they they have all the supports in place and uh, they you know it, it, it isn't the same uh, the same equation and, and so that's where I, I, I certainly hope I mean we're working with uh, our Ontario Association as well as our Canadian uh, public school Association CAPC, Um, you know working you know through advocacy and that to, to kind of you know clarify those differences and and hopefully um you know, make sure that the responses are really uh, addressing
1: the the, the the issues as they're needed. I'm glad we could have the conversation on the show this morning, Dan. Thank you very much for making time for us. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Enjoy your day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dan Witt is the chief operating officer in the research development office of International Education Services with our Waterloo Catholic. District School Board, some 200 international students at both the secondary and elementary school level here throughout our Catholic School Board, and that's just looking at Catholic schools. As you heard Dan say, this goes across the publicly funded school system nationwide, and what we learn about is that there is an element of the international student experience that is operating extremely well thank you very much and the supports are in place for these students who arrive here and they leave i believe the richer for having come and experienced our school system not to mention the students who are here benefit from the experience or the exposure to those other cultures this is the way in in my mind and in my heart of hearts i always thought it should work And, of course, we have seen things change rather dramatically beyond elementary and high schools. But that's a completely separate story. Glad we could share this one as part of the Mike Farwell show this morning. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
8: That really has made for a rich program for all involved. You know, even our community partners, like our host families, they have amazing
1: experiences
8: with our students that they're hosting. So I think it really does fill everybody's bucket.
1: Dan Witt is the Chief Operating Officer in the Research Development Office of International Education Services with the Waterloo Catholic District School Board. We have more than 200 international students attending classes in both our secondary and elementary schools across the catholic board here in the region some 40 of these students in elementary schools the remainder in our secondary schools and given what we have learned of late about the plight frankly of international students students pardon me at the post secondary level it's heartening to hear of a program like this that sounds to me as though it's operating exactly how you would hope it would operate, even with the opportunity for students here to pick up on an exchange and go back to uh, the country of origin of one of their classmates who came here as an international student. Uh, obviously, we know how challenging things have been at the post-secondary sector. In fact, uh, one of The folks in our community shared a story online the other day of having a group of students of Indian descent come to his home in Elmira over the weekend. Shovels in hand, looking for driveways to clear so they could make some money. And they were all students at Conestoga College. And he shared the experience, this resident of Elmira did, of how they spent all their money on the bus getting there. He had to drive them home and found out on that drive that they were paying more than $500 each per month to share a bedroom in some sort of student residence not far from their school. Those are the kinds of stories we typically have been hearing. Mary, good morning.
9: Oh, good morning, Mike. Um, What this guy was talking about was um, they're kind of like... The exchange students,
1: very much so. Yeah,
9: it's, it's, it's not like uh, like these people coming for post secondary where they're kind of thrown to the wolves a bit. But my um, my daughter who lives in St. Mary's, Ontario, um, she didn't sign up to take a, a, one of these people. But um, the, and I must say, they look after these students. Um, you know, the, the student can complain like they're visited. They make sure that the home is, you know, good for them, and uh, it's not like throwing them to the wolves. Um, So my daughter, well, the host uh, lady wasn't doing the proper job, so they asked my daughter to take the lady. She was from Spain, um, secondary, um, the final year of high school, and um, of course we embraced her as our own. And... um, then her family took my uh, my granddaughter um, over to Spain for a few weeks in the summer, and now she's done her um, university over there, but now she wants a postgraduate so she's come back to earn money
1: you know what Mary? I love hearing it I got to run to get to the news but again, to me it's that these are the kinds of international student stories I, I love to hear and an exchange program like this working so well i'm not diminishing or moving away from the problems we need to fix at the post-secondary level but it's nice to know that at some levels things are working as they should an update from the city news center coming up and then imagine going to the university of waterloo to study engineering and ending up on stage as a stand-up comedian that's the story you'll hear next on the mike farwell show this is city news 570 and rogers tv one of my absolute favorite people and sitting across from me in studio this time joking as we got this started today the first time in studio and we've got what 15 centimeters of snow for you ashwin singh thanks for finding us
10: mr farwell (laughs) only person i'm willing to trudge through the snow to make it for life (laughs) and it wasn't the easiest experience getting
1: here your your driver because i I picture you coming in right that's I said it that way on purpose your yeah. big you know, uh, limousine black car service, right? Yes, of course. you're you're a hotshot comedian now.
10: It was a Rolls Royce, whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But thought when you said you're going to the news station that there had to be a bus somewhere around here.
10: (laughs) Yeah, it was an Uber driver, I think. uh, And I I don't think this is a judgmental way. I am also an immigrant, but my Uber driver was an immigrant. And I was like, I'm going to the news station. And he was like, if you're going to the news station, why are there any buses? (laughs) There's no buses at a news station. And then then I was like, well, you could just drop me off But he was so nice because he couldn't see the news station. We couldn't tell where it was because also City News, like the, the logo is by the back door. So if you walk up to the back door, now you have to trudge back through 15 centimeters of snow to then walk around. And then there's also like a Rogers shop. And you're like, I know this is somewhere around. Should I go into the... Is there a secret staircase that leads to city news from Rogers? And then I waited for the receptionist and until somebody told me that there wasn't one. So it was insane.
1: <laughs> you have now unlocked the mystery of this radio station. And it's funny because next door at the Rogers Retail Store, they used to have to put a sign on the door saying we are not the radio station because we are Rogers-owned, but that store and this station has yeah. nothing to do with it's, one another.
10: It, do- it doesn't feel unlike a comedy show where sometimes it's happening in this like basement speakeasy and there's signs like five kilometers away from the show. Like, the comedy show is that way! <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but this now makes me think of something and I want to get to the backstory in just a moment because okay. I find it so fascinating. But you are... Stand up comedian. Is it in an experience like this, Ashwin, that you might come up with some
10: new material? I'm constantly writing in my head about 2% of what I think ends up on stage. The funny thing about today was like I was watching you from back there in the control room, and I thought to myself, Waterloo is the only city where I'm known enough that I just know the people that work the news. So if I want to talk about something, I don't email. I direct message them. (laughs) That's true. Can I go on the news? (laughs) It doesn't happen somewhere else. No, no. No, no. Uh, Usually I have to email. The news has been very kind to me. I will say that. Canada, Canadian radio and TV have been very kind to me. I don't know why. But when I email them and say, hey, I'm coming to this city, more often than not, I get Yes, come on and talk about the show, which I do not think is most people's experience to just ask to be on the news and be told, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe it's because your story is so interesting. And for you, the story started at the University of Waterloo. And I'm sorry to say, but you, you fit the mold perfectly, <laughs> right? If, Ashwin, if I'm walking onto campus, I'm going to expect to find a lot of you there. <laughs> But you're not doing what you... So how do you go from the University of Waterloo where it was engineering or computer science? Computer science.
10: It was both. Both. I, I did a year of engineering and then three years of computer science. Right. And and now <laughs> you're on stage as a stand-up comic. Yeah, I just wanted a very creative way to not use my degree. That's... <laughs> There is a lot of me at Waterloo. There's gotten a lot more of me at Waterloo since I left. I mean, my brother now goes to Waterloo for a computer science degree because as soon as I graduated, my parents were like, another one, let's go. So. <laughs> we we know we'll make
1: another stand-up comedian by sending them No, to, he's not funny. No.
10: <laughs> Are you the only funny one in the family? I think so. Yeah. They don't. Uh, but I don't even think they think I am funny. That's my family. It's only because... I mean, growing up, I don't know if your family was like this, but I was always just told not to ask uncomfortable questions. But I was just a curious child and I did not have any differentiation between what questions are uncomfortable and what questions are not. To me, they're all just questions. So that was I did Waterloo's orientation this year. I performed in September of uh, 2023. I did their orient. I did some comedy shows for their orientation, and that's what I told their incoming freshman class. Was like uh, that's the difference between an education and indoctrination is the ability to ask questions when you don't understand. To be given somebody where you're like, I don't understand. Like, you can ask questions. That doesn't sound like an education. That sounds like a cult. <laughs> So, my opening was, I'm telling you this to say, don't be afraid to ask questions that you think might be offensive, because if you can't ask them here, then this is not the education that you paid
1: for. How did it feel going back onto that campus? Did you, by the way, did you get your degree? I did. You did? Okay. You finished.
10: Which not all performers do. My parents would have had a few words to say if I used 80% of their bank account and then didn't get a degree. (laughs) That would have been insane. It's already insane that they were like, well, now that you have the degree, you can pursue comedy because you have a backup plan. I'm like, what comedian's backup plan is software development? I don't understand this at all.
1: (laughs) How did it feel for you going back onto the campus where you earned that degree to do some stand-up comedy?
10: It was fun. I went to Davis Center. I'm going to go back there today. I'll tell you a a little bit about this later. I'm doing some reels. I'm shooting some reels with the U Waterloo Indian Association uh, to talk about the show. But and so I have some funny ideas for that. But I was just at the Davis Center, which is their like circuit board looking red building. And I just walked in and I was like, you know what? I feel like people know me. At this point, like I was at an Airbnb in Toronto, I asked these two women if they would like some coffee because I was making myself some espresso. And they didn't say anything. But five minutes later, one of them hesitantly walked up to me and said, Are you Ashwin Singh? And I'm like, I am. How do you know me? And they said, We went to Waterloo. (laughs) And that they seemed to think that was a perfectly adequate explanation for why somebody would know me. You know, it wasn't like oh, we're friends with your dads. It was no, no. We went to Waterloo. Of course, we would know you. That was the so I stood in the middle of Davis Center, just <laughs> like while people were milling by me, and within five minutes, like, like one woman with like uh, like so the starry gaze and wide eyes stopped, like I. You familiar you are familiar, I know you <laughs> because everybody now is Instagram famous, so it's not like, oh, this is a movie star famous. We're all snap finger famous, like I know that guy who who is that guy like that that kind of famous, you know
1: you use your social media, though, particularly Instagram, uh-huh. very well. Obviously, it's something you have to do to yes. self-promote, right?
10: That's that's what it is. The purpose of it is very much marketing and promotion. It's not I don't find Instagram to be the place, at least not yet. I think there is a little bit of freedom as you get bigger, like at at both ends of the spectrum. Once you're big enough, you can be whoever you are or be as creative as you like, because you have a wide enough platform that somebody will be interested in everything you're posting. And then at the beginning, when nobody knows you, you can post whatever you want. But there's in the middle of that spectrum, there's you really have to control what you're posting, because there are a lot of people that are very specifically interested in one very niche thing that you have to say. And you have to kind of hop on that a little bit. You feel like a broken record at some sometimes just because it's like I'm repeating myself. But if I repeat myself in a variety of different ways, I get great engagement. So that's it's a little cagey. So I have resigned myself to the fact that I am a creative human, but this is not where my creativity goes. My creativity goes on stage where I'm doing stand-up comedy or maybe where I'm singing sometimes. But Instagram is a tool to let people know that I am being creative in those dimensions. It's not the tool where I get to be creative right there and then.
1: I love what you said earlier, Ashwin, about who which who What comedian has a, a backup plan, a plan B of software development, development right were you but but yet you did complete that degree yes. at the University of Waterloo. Was there always something inside of you that said, "I'm a creative, comedic person trapped in a computer scientist's body?
10: No, I have always been an annoyed person <laughs> trapped in an intelligent person's body. And using my intelligence to express my annoyance is comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like I said, the uncomfortable questions thing is kind of the origin of all of this. I did computer science because at the time I really did not know what I wanted to do with my life. and And when it's like that, you want to keep your options open. Especially, as you mentioned, I'm from an Indian family. I'm an immigrant. I don't want to take that many risks at the beginning or the outset of whatever i'm trying to do like the bigger you grow the more risks you can take in in my estimation but to be told to follow your dreams and and do what you desire it's a very north american thing it's a very like middle class privilege uh definition of where in in america every kid gets told to follow their dreams right in india maybe not maybe not in india but at least where i come from I I feel very lucky to be told that I get to follow my dreams. You have to reach a certain level of success before everybody around you just agrees that you're allowed to be one of those lucky few people that gets to pursue their dreams. Dreams are not what careers are made of. Careers are made of work, you know. And that's
1: what you were told to pursue.
10: I was told to keep my options open like it's kind of like I told my parents I wanted to play music in high school and my parents said as long as you keep your grades up, you can do whatever you want. And so grades become salary and music becomes jokes, right? So it's as long as your parents don't want you to not live your dreams. They just don't want you to be in a position where you're starving, Right. And creativity is unfortunately one of those professions where it's all or nothing. It's very hard to be in the middle ground as a creative where you're making a reasonable amount of money. You're either making none at all or people are making Rolls Royce jokes at your expense. (laughs) (laughs) And I can tell you, Ashwin, as a
1: parent, I love my daughter to the ends of the earth but i don't want her in my basement for the rest of her life <laughs> i'm just being honest about that i thought you were going to say i love my daughter to death but i don't want her to be a comedian <laughs> well that too but i thought that was i thought that was implied okay so you are you're not only instagram famous and famous enough to be recognized at hotels in toronto uh, you're, you're kind of coming home, so to speak, uh, next am. Sunday at the at the jazz room, right? Yes. And, and this is going to be, though, a bit of a special show because you're doing a, a live taping of a mini special here.
10: Yes. So it's it's a kind of a homecoming thing. The jazz room at the Hudur Hotel, which the Hudur Hotel has been there for like 100-something years. Yes, it has. It's an ancient building. And you can... You can't tell. It's a very nice-looking room. It's one of my favorite buildings in general. I actually like old architecture, so that's not saying much. But that's the first venue where I ever headlined a comedy show as well. So it was the first place where I did like an hour's worth of material. That's what headlining really kind of means. And it all kind of just sort of worked, right? So since then, every eight months or so, I've come back to the jazz room to do like a new hour of material. And so now three years in, I actually have material that I want to record that for me has outlived its utility for me. So at this point, I'm touring internationally and I have a lot of jokes about Canadians and and Canada and being an immigrant in Canada that really don't need, I don't need for those jokes to be seen outside of Canada because an, an audience in New Delhi, India is not going to understand a Grand Prairie joke. So. <laughs> Right. But I have been through Grand Prairie and I have jokes about being in Grand Prairie. So I need those jokes on the record. So this is essentially a bunch of jokes where I'm like, these are jokes that only Canadians will understand or would laugh at. Right. So so I'm and I wanted to do it somewhere that I identify with as this is my Canadian home. Right. So Waterloo is the place where I spent the most time since I've moved to Canada, five years of my university degree. And then Toronto would be a close second. So what I'm doing is I'm coming back and I'm recording fifty minutes to an hour of material that is very niche to Canada. So there's a story about Grand Prairie, there's there's a joke about Quebec. There's You gotta a, be careful with those. No, I I did it in Quebec. So okay. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my that's my strategy. Whenever I write a joke, I go to the place and do the jokes in front of the people that are most likely to be offended. Because I enjoy that. <laughs> uh, and then there's, of course, like 10 minutes about uh, getting Canadian permanent residence and culture shock at the beginning. And then the rest. But it's very much accessible material. It's a complete English show. If I go to India now, half the show is in Hindi. But just because I know comedy and the audience well enough that naturally that's what flows. But but I have a full English show that is very understandable for Canadians and it's time to kind of record that material because it's been perfected and I want to do it while I'm still excited about it. I don't want it to be on the back burner and and then I get bored of doing that material and then I have to record it and I'm less excited about it than the audience is. I don't want to be in that situation. So.
1: You mentioned at the beginning, Ashwin, that you are writing material in your head constantly. Mm-hmm. Do you worry like do you ever have mental blocks where you're thinking oh my gosh I haven't come up with something funny or creative in 3 days I'd better you
10: know find something soon like what's that process like So for me things are interesting before they're funny I don't own, I very seldom just think of funny things funny things are the vehicle to get something interesting out from me to the human being that I'm trying to communicate with So for me, it's like I'm constantly thinking about what's interesting, what I'm curious about, what question I have, right? Like, for instance, I was talking to you about this. I don't know uh, if this is an opportune topic, but we were talking about how sometimes with the the news and how promotions and news go together, sometimes if you buy advertising, you also end up on their organic uh, TV or their organic talk show or whatever. And to me, I'm like, well, that kind of like feels uh, not, uh, corrupt is the wrong word. (laughs) It's definitely not corrupt. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is definitely not. No, it's
1: not corrupt.
10: Uh, (laughs) But it just feels like, oh, so all I have to, like, not this, but like when I've been looking for news uh, coverage in the past, when I've been told that, I'm like, oh, so what you're telling me is I need to spend uh, money for someone to think I'm interesting. But that doesn't make any sense. Right. But but by itself, that idea is just interesting. And somebody that's not in the news is not going to want to talk about that. Right. So so funny is just the vehicle to start that conversation. And like you can go oh, corruption, but it's not (laughs) right. That, That laugh is important because it means that the person that you're sitting next to is engaged in that conversation. And you can tell.
1: How can we be a part of the show next Sunday at the jazz room?
10: So there's two tapings, a 7pm and a 9pm. The 9pm is actually for UW and Laurier students. Oh my, that's not going to be a gong show at all, Ashwin. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a reel with them today. I'm going to one of their lecture halls and saying, I know you guys are all nonconformists and you wear sweatpants to 11 out of 12 lectures you go to, but if you wear sweatpants to my special taping, I swear to God, I will roast you and then seat you in the worst seat outside the venue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's two tapings, the 7 and a 9. The 7pm is, I believe, half full at the moment. So there's still time. And you can find tickets to that at ashwin.me, A-S-H-W-Y-N dot me, Or you can go to my Instagram at Ashwin Singh, same first name, S-I-N-G-H. And you can find tickets that way. And I think we'll start at like 7.15. It's about an hour and a half long show. There is absolutely no nastiness. Um, Very little cursing. I would still not bring kids, but if you're looking for intelligent humor, this might be
1: your best bet. Ashwin.me, best place to go. A-S-H-W-Y-N. Next time, anytime that you are coming through town, you have a reserved seat here, my friend. I'm so happy to see you and what you're doing Thanks for stopping by for the show.
10: Thank you for having me, Mike. Next time I'm coming back in the summer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Uber driver still won't be able to find it, but it'll be warmer. He's still looking for the buses. (laughs) Ashwin Singh, he's got a show coming up at the uh, Jazz Room next Sunday night. A-S-H-W-Y-N dot me. Ashwin dot me. Get your tickets now for that live taping of the mini-special. Thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV.
10: I feel very lucky to be told that I get to follow my dreams. You have to reach a certain level of success before everybody around you just agrees that you're allowed to be one of those lucky few people that gets to pursue their dreams. Dreams are not what careers are made of. Careers are made of work.
1: At least Ashwin Singh has a career to fall back on if this stand-up comedy thing doesn't work out. They're a graduate of computer science at the University of Waterloo, but took a bit of a U-turn in the career path and now a successful stand-up comedian. Gary sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. I'm loving this. Very engaging. Thank you, Gary. I believe Ashwin is also. I got to know them when we were doing a fundraiser years ago for uh, Lassard and Innisfree Hospice, and Ashwin was performing... Music. Loved the sound. We connected then. We've stayed in touch ever since as they've embarked on this rather incredible stand-up comedy career. And I just find it so interesting, from computer science at the University of Waterloo to the stage. And you can check out Ashwin's show next Sunday night at the Jazz Room at the Hooter Hotel, uh, where a mini-special will also be taped. And he kind of puts to rest some of these... Canadian stereotypical jokes. Get tickets if you are so inclined at ashwin.me. A-S-H-W-Y-N dot M-E. A quick break, an update from the City News Centre, and then Ontario's registered practical nurses bring their concerns to locally elected officials here in the region. We'll talk about them coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, our good friend and loyal listener, Bob, must be pleased as punch. Bob called last week to say, you know what, you're spending way too much time talking about hockey and not enough time talking about health care. Because, you know, there are problems in health care. And I think we all know that. I mean, heck, we've seen emergency rooms close either in our community or in an adjacent community we've heard stories of long wait times including one that we featured on the show yesterday when a man from cambridge talked about his father-in-law being stuck in that patient transfer limbo between an ambulance and getting admitted to a hospital it was 11 hours for his father-in-law and by the way his father-in-law was in the final days of his life a really upsetting and difficult situation to be in Again, we covered that on the show yesterday and now today we turn our attention to Ontario's registered practical nurses who are bringing their messages of concern to elected officials here in the region of Waterloo. It's a full day being spent at a Waterloo hotel where local nurses are getting the chance to share their story and the association gets an audience with some locally elected officials. Not lost on me that none of those locally elected officials are members of the Conservative Party, but that's, I think, a sidebar to the story of really what the conditions are like today and what our frontline healthcare professionals in this province are asking for. Diane Martin is the CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario. She makes time for the program. And Diane, as we get started, maybe you could just start by telling us what it is that brings you to Waterloo today.
4: Well, uh, we're here in Kitchener today because uh, we know that nursing is facing some very difficult situations, and that uh, the most important thing we could do is give nurses a voice, any nurse. Uh, And so we uh, organized a series of town halls across the province where RPNs can share those challenges that they face, what a day at work is like, Um, but also the solutions that are out there. you know, nurses have lots of good ideas and um, we'd like to hear those ideas from nurses' voices directly to politicians whenever possible. And and we will have some politicians uh, there with us today.
1: I'll come back to those potential solutions in a moment. But when it comes to a day in the life, Diane, I think we got uh, a little glimpse of that in a recent survey that suggested more than 40% of Healthcare workers are dreading going into work. What do these results from this survey tell you?
4: It, the results of this survey make it really clear to me that things have changed significantly in nursing. Um, I've been a nurse for 45 years this year and I worked as a labor and delivery nurse. I can't really recall ever waking up, maybe Christmas mornings, but waking up in the morning and not wanting to go into work. My friends were there. There was joy there. um, I loved what I did and things have changed so significantly that many of the days that nurses face, they know that they will be short-staffed. They know that they will be asked to provide care to far more people than is reasonable. Um, They know that they will make decisions throughout the day of which care to provide and what is the least important parts of their care so that they can make sure that everybody gets at least the minimum, Um, that's very, very hard on a nurse who, first of all, is educated to provide excellent care, but also has to uphold the standards of the profession.
1: How did we get here? Is it reduction in funding? I mean, how did we end up with this significant a change?
4: So I don't think that it's necessarily a reduction in funding, but we've first of all always known there was going to be a nursing shortage at this period of of time um with our aging population the requirement for care was always going to be significantly higher in this period of time and then to be fair to everyone we had a perfect storm um, of hitting the nursing shortage that was predicted at the same time that the pandemic started and so many more people were sick so and so much sicker and in very Um, A lot of places that normally you don't see people that sick, long-term care homes, etc., requiring so much more procedural um, isolation and all of the things that take up uh, so much more time to keep people as healthy as they can be through the process. And so when you look at all of it together, um, we also had Bill 124 that ended a nurse's ability at that time to negotiate a fair wage. Um, It was all very It broke nurses, to be really honest with you. It broke nurses, what they faced every day.
1: What can we do about where we are at? Do we need more resources into the healthcare system? Do we need a reallocation of existing resources? What kinds of solutions can we be looking at?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting you say about the reallocation because today um, we're here in Waterloo and we're going to be meeting with over 30 nurses. And they are going to tell us where to reallocate so they've got great ideas but we were always going to need to invest more at this period of time in health care um, that's basically worldwide but across canada we were always going to have to invest more um, so it's not so much any sort of decreases in funding but it is investing more and once you create that culture of um of distress, moral distress among your nurses, you're also going to have to invest in helping nurses return to a profession they love. You know, when I started nursing, I everybody entered nursing for life. Um, my mom was a nurse. Um, I'm a nurse. My daughter's a nurse. And Everyone just, it was the profession you were going to stay in for your life, and we don't hear that from nurses anymore. So what we think we need to do, we have to, first and foremost, legislate manageable workloads. And that means establish nurse-to-patient ratios in law that you uh, uh, need to adhere to, so that nurses know that when they go to work, this is going to be a rewarding day where I can meet the needs of the people that I care about so much. We have to prioritize retention with growth opportunities. So, we have to make sure that this is a profession where there is ability to grow, advance, um, those sorts of opportunities. And the government is helping us with the funding for those sorts of things right now, but we need to expand that. Um, We have to make sure that there's professional compensation across all sectors so nurses working in one place might make substantially less than a nurse say working in another and we have to make sure that that's level and finally, we have to guard against cost inefficiencies and privatizing health care, which we know costs incredibly more um, than uh, a public health care system, particularly when we have shortages where we start using nursing agencies where nurses might be making up to triple the amount to work for an agency rather than the actual employer.
1: You know, Diane, we had a conversation on our show just yesterday with a gentleman who had experienced a, a, a rather traumatic wait time with his father-in-law in the hospital and in need of care. We we already referenced you and me this morning, this survey that suggests 41% of Ontario's hospital staff say they dread going to work and 43% are considering a new career path. How do we maintain public confidence in a system where there seem to be so many challenges?
4: Um, I think, first and foremost, we have to establish the right number of staff once again because when you hear of a wait time they're waiting for someone not for something but for someone um, if they're waiting for for example offloading from an ambulance um, they're waiting for staff to be ready so we still have days where the the stars line up and everybody um, you have a fully staffed unit and it runs beautifully but those days are so few and far between now that um i understand the wait the wait times in many areas whether you're an inpatient waiting for something that you desperately need or whether you are in emerge so i mean i obviously feel very ma- bad for that gentleman but but um we need, this is years, we're at the years mark now that this has been going on and we're committed to working with the government to find those solutions. But I think first and foremost, it's a staffing issue and, um, and it's a, also a capacity issue because like I said earlier, um, there is an, ex, you know, an aging population that always will need more care. So capacity is important.
1: What message do you want our MPPs, Catherine Fife, Mike Schreiner, Ashlyn Clancy, I know, will be in attendance today? What message do you want them to take away?
4: I think... I think first and foremost, what they will take away is they will notice that those nurses love their patients. And when they talk about being broken, it's not because they don't get lunch breaks or 12 hours without a break anymore. It's because they are not meeting the needs of the people that they want so desperately to care for appropriately. So I think the first thing they'll note is that um, this is a really good group of people who whose hearts are broken. Uh, secondly, I think they'll notice that they'll note that um, the issues are specific and they are real and they are across many, many employers and sectors of healthcare. and that it's going to take a significant amount of change and probably a significant amount of investment to solve them.
1: Diane, I really appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you very much for being here.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Diane Martin is the CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario in the region today to meet with local nurses, hear their stories, and offer some potential solutions to what is a really trying situation currently within our healthcare system. And I am acutely aware, believe you me, of the narrative that currently surrounds healthcare care and how difficult it may be to remain confident in the system. I know that there are incredibly passionate people working within the system that are doing incredible work, but I also understand that they are doing it in incredibly challenging times and how we fix a system that is, by all accounts, ailing, uh, I really don't have an easy answer to that. But I don't want to diminish our confidence in it. However, if you're waiting upwards of 20 hours to get care, which was reported last week by the Canadian Medical Association, it's hard to look at that as a system that is here for us in any way, Steve is on the phone with us this morning morning, Steve.
6: Good morning so yeah man i I can tell you firsthand the uh the plight of basically just every system we have here in Canada, and you uh you guys always have like the soft spoken people on telling us how bad things are, and I get it right you know whether whether it's the education workers, whether it's the nurses um even myself i mean i'm I'm talking to you right now after taking a slap shot from a fourteen year old off my shin, and I'm just not going to take myself to the hospital to get an x-rayed because I don't want to be in there for 11 hours and go in for an x-ray and come out with the flu or something. I get it. But the conversation, it it can't start with what these workers keep wanting because in hindsight and looking forward down the road, yes, we need more nurses. Yes, we need more teachers. Yes, these are all taxpayer-funded things, though. And, I mean, with the amount they're getting paid, with how many more people they need for the system to actually work. And you're talking to patient to to worker ratios and stuff. I mean, we got to ask ourselves, how, how long is this model sustainable for? I mean, how much more, how much of every tax dollar goes to healthcare? right? At some point, we've got to start cutting other things, right? And I, I, I know the, the liberals and everyone, they always talk about, no, no, you can't keep doing this, but I mean, we don't have the jobs here in Canada. You can keep bringing people in. You can keep increasing the tax base, but you can only tax them so much. This is a really difficult conversation, but the answer isn't always more people for more because, I mean, these are the same unions that, after you give them what they want, two years later, they want to offset cost of inflation with raises.
1: You right? know, well, Steve, I, I'll grant you, the, the, the picture that you're painting, uh, I do not necessarily disagree with. I hear where you're coming from uh but i'm i'm curious about something you said at the outset you know we always bring on these soft spoken people that talk about the need who would you like to hear from instead like what kind of message are we missing here for you
6: probably just the average joe who is so overburdened with taxes and everything else that you know they have no voice they're just told every time no you got to suck it up you got to pay more this year got to pay more in cpp you got to pay more in income tax you got to pay more in all these new taxes that the government's just keep throwing at us
1: well, we always have the voice of the average Joe and Jane on the show, right? You're calling right now to share that.
6: Yeah, but you're not getting them in the capacity. We're, we're always critical, right? You, we are kind of labeled as, as critics of, of everything. But when, when it comes to actual solutions, people aren't actually asked. But it's always just you get these committees of liberals or committees of new Democrats or committees of conservatives, and they come up with these these more ideas that are just, you know, more to the taxpayer.
1: So you think that we are collecting enough tax as it is. We need to decide how to better spend it so that you're not waiting 11 hours to get an x-ray for a slap shot off the shin. Absolutely. Cuz you,
6: you want the healthcare I mean, there, right?
1: You want to invest I, yeah, in that. Absolutely. I yeah. mean,
6: health care yeah. it, it's it's important. Sure. I mean, at some point, you know, you have I mean, like, perfect example, you have all these CEOs of these hospitals and all their board of directors constantly reaching out to communities. We need to raise X amount of dollars, but they hide behind their salaries that are all like, I mean, their their salaries and all of the bonuses that they get, they're ridiculous, right? But nobody asks them, well, why don't you give a little back? If you're running this hospital and you're in so dire need, why don't you take a pay cut and help us out? Nobody ever says that.
1: Yeah. Steve, listen, I appreciate the call and the conversation. I, I feel like, dare I say, I'm with you. And, and gladly would I pay more in taxes if I believed that it's going to improve Steve's 11-hour wait for an x-ray. Like, I get this. I, I, and I think many of us feel this way. So the answer becomes what? Like, I'm all ears. I promise you I am. We'll take a break and come back with more on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV
4: the years, Mark, now that this has been going on, and we're committed to working with the government to find those solutions. But I think first and foremost, it's a staffing issue. And it's also a capacity issue, because like I said earlier, there is an aging population that always will need more care. So capacity is important.
1: That is Diane Martin, the CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario quickly before our 1130 update from the city news center let's get right back to the phones paul good morning
11: good morning mike yeah you've uh she's explained a good part of her story you had that guy on yesterday that's a one-off or maybe there's more i have personal experience from last week when my wife unfortunately slipped in the kitchen three o'clock in the morning broke her ankle We've been to St. Mary's Hospital. We've been to Grand River Hospital twice. Let me tell you and your listeners, the staff at both of those hospitals, once we were inside, were absolutely, 100%, the best staff that I've ever seen work in a facility like a hospital. Professional, friendly, attentive, you name it, they did it, Mike. So, did you see a doctor? Yes, she did. She got her ankle surgery last a week ago today, Tuesday. She's in a cast, 100% professional. Did it take two hours to get in and out and get done? No, it took a while, Mike, but she got done, and it was perfect. Now, so
1: you're okay with waiting for that level of service, is what I'm hearing?
11: Yes. Okay. Is it, is it life-threatening? No, it's a broken ankle. She'll survive. If you walk in bleeding profusely from a cut in your arm, guess what? You're not waiting. You're going in. I know that from personal experience. But a broken ankle is not going anywhere as long as you stay off of it. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's my point. No, Paul, and it's a great point. And I'm sorry i got to cut it there because we got to get to the news centre. Ann and Brenda, I, I don't have time to get to your calls at this moment, but in 30 minutes' time during the 12 o'clock talk back, please take advantage of that. Call us back. Talk about this. Share your stories. I, I'm glad that Paul made a point of singling out the folks that helped his wife inside those facilities. I'll stress again, I think Paul's absolutely right. The care we get is tremendous once we get it. Paul doesn't seem to think it's as broken as Steve thought it was. And I'm, I'm loath to make it sound like a completely broken down system. But I do think it needs some improvement. This is the Mike Farwell show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. For quite some time now, thanks to a partnership we forged with the Canadian Mental Health Association of Waterloo-Wellington, we have been having monthly check-ins with our friends from CMHA Waterloo-Wellington. We do this on the second Tuesday of every month, and we continue with this partnership into our new year of 2024. Now, in fairness, this is the third Tuesday of the month of January. But since the first Tuesday was the second, we kind of bumped things back a little bit because that first week that uh, began with New Year's Day, uh, you know, felt like a bit of a holiday week still. So just so you're aware, as you settle in for another year of listening to this program, and thank you very much for doing so, we will continue our monthly conversations second Tuesday of every month at 1130 with Helen Fishburne, who is the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association of waterloo Wellington, and is with us this morning. Helen, good morning.
12: Good morning, Mike. Hope you're keeping warm and safe and toasty you
7: up know, in your studio. I,
1: I am. The studio's always toasty, believe me. And I've actually been doing okay because on Sunday when it got as cold as it got, I, you almost couldn't get me indoors, Helen, because mm-hmm. the sun was out. And you know. I was so happy to see the sun after such a long ha- absence. I stayed outside, I shoveled the snow, I walked to work, I did it all yeah yeah
12: it it was awesome, it, yeah, it just it replenishes your your spirits right when that sun comes out it 's awesome.
1: it certainly does, and you know, mm-hmm. I think that many of us are starting to struggle with that a little bit because winter is settling in. You mentioned how cold it is it 's kind of got that icy grip on us and of course, we're we're coming down from the holiday times as well. So, if there are some winter blues, we might be experiencing them particularly this week.
12: Yeah, they 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 tend to hit, or at least that's that's the myth, right? And sometimes we know the myth becomes legend. Um, But they say that this is one of the toughest weeks uh, because of that. So, you know, the days are shorter. We're in the prime of winter season. I mean, we've been very fortunate this year here locally, but certainly it's hit with a vengeance this week. Uh, The gray skies are just part of our landscape every day. The Christmas bills are flowing in. Uh, Sometimes our New Year's resolutions have petered out. So... You know, there's a whole bunch of factors, but generally speaking, you know, we can add your, you know, your favorite NFL team loses. I don't want to put salt into your wounds.
1: How dare you, Helen Fishburne? (laughs) it,
12: It definitely is a time where it's like, oh, gosh, it just feels like you're just in a funk, right? You're in a funk.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And you know, you started this by talking about the myth that is the this is being the most difficult week. Yesterday was "quote unquote" Blue Monday. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere on the, along along the lines, it was a travel agency that got us thinking about right. this, right? So
12: we yeah, could go take a sunny exactly vacation. Right. Yeah, yeah. But they wanted you to book a, a vacation. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and they were kind of feeding into that. But having said that. You know you can definitely feel it you know people's energies are lower their moods are lower you know you do get impacted by not having that that sunshine even on a cold crisp day so uh, there is some truth to it but it's definitely got a commercial element as well
1: are there ways we can help to combat these winter blues Helen
12: for sure I mean first of all um, I always say and you know January is a great month for us in mental health right because uh, despite people feeling blue, despite the fact that it it is uh, tougher for all of those reasons we've just talked about, it's also you know a new year. It's an opportunity to think about you know do some self reflection. You know what parts of your life are you feeling good about? What are the parts that you want to make some changes? Um, and, you know, with Bell Let's Talk and the campaign that's coming uh, shortly and all of the work that we do to really continue to keep the mental health conversation going, it is an opportunity just to say, okay, you know, what what do I need to adjust? What do I need to look at? What are the things in my life that I want to get better at? Uh, and you can challenge yourself, you know, do one thing rather than eight things, right? You know, sometimes <laughs> we set ourselves up and that's where that New Year's resolution stuff, you know, it tends, we we can sometimes sabotage ourselves a little bit, Mike, right? But try one thing, you know, a new thing for us this year is uh, there's a push-up challenge, uh, and I know that sounds a bit odd because, you know, push-ups and mental health, um, and people don't love push-ups. However, it's a bit of a pun in the sense that, you know, we want to challenge people to push for better mental health. But we are encouraging people, and there's actually a campaign that encourages people to do a number of push-ups over a number of days. Now, if you don't like push-ups, you can do sit-ups, squats, lunges, do something to move your body, right? Throughout the challenge, participants receive like a daily target, which relates to some mental health statistics. You can join as an individual. You can join as a team. So there's a whole uh, push-up challenge that you'll see on a website. It's called the pushupchallenge.ca again something different something new but it it really what it what it is doing is just connecting the mind and body to wellness right and 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 kind of challenging ourselves to push through some of those dark feelings or you know some of that funk and get to a spot where you're you're pushing yourself through it
1: so how does the push-up challenge work helen do we do we get a sponsorship where you know somebody pays us a dollar per push up or something like that.
12: Yeah, you can do that. You can set some targets for yourself. Um, you can actually register for the program. Uh, it's a fundraiser as well. Uh, so there's lots of things that you can that you can do. and again, uh, that that's like a formal program. The other thing you can do is just try something at home, right? If you, if you, Sometimes people don't want to be involved in fundraisers or they don't want to do anything kind of uh, formally, right? Which I always try to say, that part really doesn't matter. What matters is the commitment that you want to make to yourself. And then how do you see yourself getting through that commitment sometimes people need an external accountability right they want to go to a website they want to log on every day they want to go in and you know record their number of push-ups or squats or lunges and other people just kind of want to do it quietly on their own it doesn't really matter but pick something for yourself you know Um, whether it's walking every single day, making some colorful meals that have lots of vegetables in them, um, increasing your social connections with people, right? You know, sometimes, again, at this time of year, we tend to to hunker down and, and get a little bit isolated from the people that we that we love and, and we feel uh, supported by. So what can you do to increase those connections? Meet for coffee, uh, arrange a Zoom meeting, whatever it might be. So pick something that is good for your mind, it's good for your body, and then work through those barriers so that you meet that commitment. I think that's the challenge we all want to take on in January.
1: Well, and I think where you're coming from here, Helen, when you say to, to pick that one thing, not eight things, for example, but really what we kind of need, especially, in these darker, much colder days of winter is that, that little push. We might have to nudge ourselves just a little bit here to get going in the right direction.
12: Yeah, and that's good, right? Because, you know, we can get complacent. You know, we can think, well, it's good enough or, you know, I feel fine. Is, is fine our goal? No, we want to feel better than we and than fine, right? We don't want to just settle and say, well, it's okay. You know, my job's okay my my relationships okay my mental health yeah it's fine actually we want your mental health to be better than that because your mental health you know fuels so much of the other things in your life it fuels how you how productive you are at work how you feel about Uh, your job, it fuels so much of your relationship, right? How connected are you to your partner, to your kids, uh, to your social connections around you? So we really want to raise the bar on that mental health component to say, listen, I can be better than fine. And to do that, I'm gonna need to get outside of my comfort zone. I'm gonna actually need to talk to somebody even to say, you know what, I've really been struggling with some self-doubt, with some anxiety, with some worry. I've got this kind of dark, little depressive feelings that I'm struggling with that I, you know, they've been there, but I've just been kind of pushing them away, ignoring them. But I don't want to ignore them. I actually want to talk about it, get it on the table, and address it because that's preventing me from getting close to my partner or or doing the things at work that I you know I feel really good about. So that's part of it. Mike is just really being honest with yourself, but then inviting others into that so that you can you know work through those goals and actually feel really good about what you're accomplishing as well.
1: You said something earlier, Helen, a couple of things that that come together for me. When you mentioned the Let's Talk program and maybe your football team doesn't win the big game like mine didn't yesterday. But while watching that game, boy, oh, boy, what a powerful campaign that Let's Talk is running right now around the need... The, the, the really deep need, frankly, for services nationwide, and it's all tied into the new 988 uh, suicide crisis helpline in Canada. But the, I think the, the point, is, it's, it's a very impactful campaign reminding us, again, of the depth of that need. How, how are we doing at the Canadian Mental Health Association in terms of meeting those needs?
12: Well, it is a great great campaign Mike and i got to tell you every January, I just love to see the excitement, the enthusiasm uh, like people just respond so beautifully to that campaign it It resonates so much it, it just it 's awesome to see that. Um, I wish we could have it all year long, but hey we 'll take it in January because people really need it right now. Um, I would say, generally speaking, uh, you know, we're doing as well as we can in terms of meeting the needs uh, of our community. We do that well, Mike, at a crisis level when people are imminently in crisis here locally. You know, through our here 24/7 team, through our impact team. So that's our staff that go out and respond to police calls with 911. And then we are also a 988 provider here locally, which is new this year, as you know, new funding that arrived last November. So we have kind of built that into our crisis response with your 24-7 and impact. We are uh, responding well to our community who are in crisis and reaching those folks really as, as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Where we struggle, frankly, is post-crisis, when we need to connect folks to ongoing care. So whatever the underlying issue is as part of that crisis where they're, again it again, it's that deep depression, it's an eating disorder, um, there's this psychosis, whatever those underlying issues are, addiction issues are also very prevalent. That's where some of the gaps in care are, Mike, that we are continuing to advocate for um, because we know post-crisis, you know, people need care, they need treatment. They need to be able to get to those issues. Otherwise, they just cycle through uh, crisis again and again, right? So that's a real push for us. Uh, and we're going gonna to continue to advocate for what we need here locally. And we have the support of many of our partners and our local politicians to do that. As you know, big challenge for us just because there are so many gaps across the healthcare system proper, right? You look at waiting lists everywhere in, in a post-pandemic world, it's a challenge, but we also rely on our fundraising uh, for that as well. We do the best we can, Mike, but in the meantime, I always want people to know that they never have to wait for crisis services. We're literally here 24 7.
1: And as you continue to make those pushes, I think we can, the least we can do is uh, participate in that push up challenge to help along the way, and what a great way to. Just, you know, give us a little something to focus on that one thing and the exercise benefits that we get, I think will help us uh, with our mental health as well.
12: It really is. And, And, you know, again, it's something new. It's something fun. But if that doesn't resonate with you, pick something. Challenge yourself in some way to do something that moves your body, that that moves your spirit, that makes you feel good and feel connected. So that's that's the challenge, really, we have for each other. Um, and and share that challenge with somebody so you, you can, you know, share the excitement and share the progress. You know, whether it's a good day or, or a great day, uh, it's always better when you share it.
1: Helen, as always, we appreciate your time on the show. Thanks very much for being here, and we'll look forward to our next conversation.
12: Sounds great, Mike. Stay warm and stay safe.
1: I will do both. Thank you. You as well. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Helen Fishburne is the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Waterloo Wellington, joining us for our monthly mental health check-in we do it on the second tuesday of every month i know this is the third tuesday but as i said at the beginning it's a bit of a wonky month with that first week of january still being a you know kids off school feels a little bit like a holiday week so we will continue moving through 2024 with our friends at the canadian mental health association of waterloo wellington joining us on the second tuesday of every month at 11 30. Just looking at that push-up challenge, I I like the idea. It's it's a little thing. I know not everybody loves push-ups. Helen's right about that. But it's an opportunity for us to do something physically, which helps in multiple ways, right? Give us something to focus on, challenge ourselves, maybe raise a little bit of money along the way. The idea is that from February the 1st through to the 23rd, you challenge yourself over the course of those three weeks to complete 2,000 push-ups. So 2,000 over 21 days, we're looking at, what are we doing? 50 a day? 100 a day. 100 push-ups a day. You don't have to do them all at once. Just... Get out there and do them over the course of the day. 2,000 push-ups represents 20% of Canadians who will experience a mental illness each year. And then fundraising is an optional part of the event, but it is encouraged by the Canadian Mental Health Association, which will be the beneficiary of those funds raised. And I was just looking at some of the teams that are already signed up and doing this. And I want to give a shout-out to Jacob Hespler Secondary School in Cambridge, which is currently leading the way. It's the top team right now. And fifth on the list are friends from the University of Waterloo. And the Warriors are also involved as one of the top teams right now, the Wellness Warriors, Uh, a team in fourth place. All of the push-ups, I'm shouting out because they're using one of my favorite memes as their avatar online, which is Chuck Norris saying when Chuck... Well, Chuck Norris doesn't say this, but you know all the Chuck Norris jokes, right? Like Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas. Yeah. And the meme here or the avatar for the all of the push-ups team says when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he's not actually pushing himself up. He's pushing the earth down because, of course... He's Chuck Norris. But way to go, you Jacob Hespler secondary school students and friends leading the way right now in the push-up challenge. Here's what I'm thinking, and maybe Devin Robertson wants to weigh in on this because I haven't talked about this in a while, but I'll, I'll just pull back the curtain a little bit. Devin is our guy on the other side of the glass, and he sees me most times when the news comes on, disappearing from my chair here in the studio so I can get down on the floor. I know this is weird, but I get down on the floor and I I do a set of push-ups. And so, I don't know. Like, Dev, I think if, if I were to challenge our other radio stations in this building to the push-up challenge, I think I've got a head start here because I've been doing this for a couple of years already. I would think so. Right? Yeah. But if I don't tell them that I've been, like, hey, everybody, you know, it's the fat old 50-plus guy like you can easily beat them but they wouldn't know that i've actually been doing like hundreds of push-ups every day for years now
2: no i mean like if you can if you can win you can win (laughs) (laughs) if
1: you're not cheating you're not trying just like the buffalo bills (laughs) and how they cheated yesterday but that's another story i don't know would you would you try doing push-ups with me does it sound like something that uh I, I should. You should. <laughs> that, I know I should. You know what? It's funny <laughs> you say that because that's why I started. It was the year I was going to turn 50. And I thought to myself, like, what am I doing here? Like, there was a time in my life earlier on that I was in decent shape. And now, and but here's the thing. So I started out. And I, my goal was, I, and I started right around this time of year in January, I thought, by the time my birthday arrives in the summer, I want to be able to do 50 push-ups on my 50th birthday. But I wanted to do them 50 consecutive. I didn't want to do them, you know, 10 at a time, five different times. I wanted to be able to do 50 push-ups. So I just started, and every half hour, I, would, I thought I could do like 25 every time. No, I got barely 15. But I started at 15 every time, and then I went to 20 every time, and then I went up to 25, and next thing you know, I was doing 30. Every single news break, get down on the floor, do 30 push-ups. And by my 50th birthday, guess what? 51 push-ups. <laughs> now, the <laughs> challenge became, what happens every year I get older? Do I keep adding a push-up? Eventually, I'm going to lose the game. But so far, so good. I did 52 push-ups this year. There so, you go. There you go.
2: If you can always do one extra, then you're banking them forward for the next I year. I know.
1: That's what I do. I have 53. from my, So now I, I think I'm still going to be good this summer, but I don't know. Anyway, it's the push I'm going to try. I'm going to try to convince our other co- co-workers here to get involved in this, but I'm not going to tell them. And they never listen to my show, so whatever. I listen to their shows. They don't listen to mine. But I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell them that I do push-ups already, and we'll see if we can get a, a little challenge going here at the radio station. It should be fun. Don't tell them my secret, Dev. It's between you and me. Uh, my lips are sealed. You're a good man. You're a good man. Uh, the pushupchallenge.ca. Maybe you want to join in with us, too. All you got to do is 2,000 push-ups over the course of three weeks. That's like 100 a day. Do, do 10, 10 times. Do 20, 5 times. We'll get there together. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, never are those words more true than in the next hour because everyone is welcome on this platform. You got something you want to talk about? That's what the 12 o'clock talk back hour is all about. And I'm still getting messages from our segment just after 11 about the situation and working conditions for nurses in Ontario right now. So we will continue with that theme and anything else you would like to bring to the table during the 12 o'clock talkback hour which begins just after the noon update from the city news center unfortunately that also means it's the end of the road for our friends at rogers tv cable 20 for another day so thank you to robert and the team for producing the tv side of this program we continue on the radio side the 12 o'clock talkback hour is coming up on the mike farwell show on city news 570 and so long rogers tv Take out the papers and the trash Or you don't get no spending
0: cash If you don't scrub that kitchen fur, You ain't gonna rock and roll no more yak.
8: Don't do that
0: Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that death out with that
1: You can forget the don't part of those song lyrics. And please do, in fact, talk back. Don't you talk back to me, young man. The number of times I heard that in my life. Holy Hannah. I also heard at one time in my post-secondary life. Hey, Farwell, do you come with an off switch? No, not until one o'clock, sir. That's when my off switch is pushed and I'm gone for another twenty hours. But in the meantime, between time from now until one, it is the talk back, not the don't talk back, but indeed the talk back hour here on the program. Five one nine five seventy twenty-five forty-five, star five seventy and one-eight hundred-five seventy fifty-seven fifteen. If there's a story in the news that's got you Raising an eyebrow or it's chafing your chaps, by all means, let us know about it. If you're finding a way to endure these cold temperatures, especially if you're someone who works outdoors, I would love to know the secret. I'm a big fan of the outdoors. I wimped out yesterday. I'm not going to wimp out again today. I'm feeling the need for that fresh air. I'm going to make sure I get some. But if you've got a secret to enduring the frigid temperatures, on a temporary basis. I ain't staying out there for two hours. You're a better person than I am if you have to work in this. But if you could share some tips, we are all ears. The 12 o'clock talk back, maybe you're just in the mood for a conversation. I want to go back to an email I received from Nancy following our healthcare and specifically nursing discussion uh, at 11 o'clock this morning. And Nancy's email reads as follows. Mike, I feel the need to message... Because I keep hearing about the problem in nursing being about dollars. That is just not an accurate assessment. It's about guaranteed hours and full-time jobs, even part-time jobs. I worked literally several years casual. No guarantee of any hours, no benefits. During COVID, we heard about nurses working several jobs. This is to make up for hours. Nurses working for private care providers do not make more money. That is untrue. Nurses work years to get a secure job and usually hospitals where they are unionized. I had to move to a part of the hospital that wasn't my niche in order to get full-time. Nancy, thank you for sharing that. And you know, it makes me think of as lucrative as we think the life is for a teacher, for example, which we know is a pretty well-paying, very stable job with excellent, basically the gold standard in benefits. But you'll remember, many decades ago, I actually started out in that field before moving over here into the broadcasting side of things. And it's a lot different today than it was back then. Back then, you could basically graduate out of school and teacher's college and walk into a full-time job. Today, it's a lot different. You're on the long-term supply list or the occasional teacher's list, I think it's called, and you're on that for quite some time as you kind of wait for the next, or the, yeah, I guess the next full-time opportunity to get that stable job with the really good benefits. But it doesn't happen as quickly as it used to. And, you know, it just makes me think, both of those situations make me think of the sorts of environments our kids are going into when it comes to the workforce generally ended up having this conversation with my father over the weekend because we all had dinner together on Saturday night. And it's just like, there was a time and and I, you know, this as well as I do in this community, which has got its roots in manufacturing where the B.F. Goodrich's and the uniroyals and the Bud automotives of the world basically took care of you cradle to grave, right? You worked there, you were full-time, you had benefits, you had a pension, and that was it. You stayed there for for decades. And the and the company made sure that you were compensated and you had the benefits and you had the retirement plan. And Schneider's is another great example of that. And those jobs I mean they're just gone and now you think of, you know, getting into a unionized healthcare environment, getting into a unionized teaching environment, but you got to you got to work your tail off just to get to that full-time position where those benefits and that higher pay kick in and it's not easy. And and for how long can you juggle the uncertain hours or the multiple jobs that you might need? It's a really interesting time out there in the labor force. All right, let's go to the phones and hear from you on the 12 o'clock talk back. Dave, good afternoon.
13: Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Good to hear you. I haven't talked to you in a while, so I'm to call in and give you some tips.
1: Nice to hear from you. Okay, yeah, tips for staying warm outside?
13: Absolutely, okay. yeah. So uh, long johns and long sleeve shirt, you know, fleece, that's my go-to. Yeah. So then I don't have to wear as much, you know, but then hot pockets, put them everywhere. Don't care where. Okay. Everywhere, Put your toe warmers on. I just, I'm good. So then I don't have to wear like heavy jackets constantly, right? Because I move around a lot and uh, out in the dirt, whatever, right? So I want something a little lighter, but then still warm. So hot pockets, I throw them in my jacket, uh like a little face mask as well too. That does the trick, you know. And two, but yeah, I, I get, I get one of those freezer jackets, and it does the best thing for you. So honestly, that's the best thing. I've worked outside for years, and it's. Done me wrong, and you know, it's just kind of my ritual in the morning to put my little hot pockets everywhere and put
1: my toe warmers on, and I'm good to go. Attaboy, Dave, I really appreciate that call. Thanks for making it. And if it's one thing I learned over the years, it's that it almost begins and ends with your feet. I know your head and keeping it covered is important as well, but if you keep those feet warm and dry, you are winning more than half the battle. I used to, when I was going on long outdoor hikes, even if I had a good pair of waterproof boots on, I would wrap my uh, feet in plastic bags before going into the boot. And I know it's not a, a long-term uh, great idea, but on those in, in those situations, it made all the difference. Your feet stay dry, which keeps them warm, and I'm telling you, it's like that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza had the big furry hat. And he didn't need anything else. It was just the hat, feet, head. As far as I'm concerned, Terry. Over to you on the twelve o'clock talk back. Good afternoon.
10: Hey,
14: good afternoon, Mike. Hey, listen, I didn't listen to your show on Friday, unfortunately. But uh, and I couldn't. I didn't hear the podcast. But I must respond. I know your friend Sean called yesterday, and uh, you know I, I, I'm actually flattered that he thinks so highly of me that he always has to bring my name up.
1: I think he called on Friday. You mean?
14: Yes, he yeah, did, but I didn't yeah. listen to your show on Friday. I only but he
1: didn't it. call yesterday, though. I just don't
14: want it to no, be mistaken. No, well, sorry, but I heard it yesterday. Okay, I got you. Because, you heard it yesterday. Because all, all weekend, they didn't have the podcast online for Friday's show.
1: Don't even get me started with the technology around here these days, my friend. <laughs>
14: Holy anyway. Hannah. Anyway, I'm so flattered that he thinks so highly of I me. Mean, I wish I could say the same, because I'm not as big as an as an admirer as, as he is, but... I don't mind him calling me out on certain things, but at least he he has to put things in in his proper context. First of all, my phone said 21 minutes. Unless he was sitting on your lap, I don't know how he would know it was 12 minutes.
1: Well, I told you because I have a counter on my phone. Like we're at at 105 right now. That
14: happened, Mike, because my phone said 21 minutes. Maybe they don't count commercials at your end if I'm on hold during commercials? Maybe. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. But on my phone, I even looked. It's at 21 minutes and 30 seconds, whatever it was. But I said, I didn't want to get into it. And then he said the thing about he almost choked on his drink because when I said, I like to keep things short. Yeah, I did say I like to keep things short. But I also, after that, I said, sometimes when conversations go, sometimes it goes off the rails. Why didn't he say that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know what, what, what why he's got to bug up his ass. Like, <laughs> call me out, call me out. I don't care, but at least keep it in his proper context. He also said some time ago, when his identity came out, that I said that I wasn't going to call your show because I was on your show. Did I ever say I was never going to call your show, Mike?
1: I, I never know. recall you saying that. I recall you I, having beef with Brian in the afternoon. Yes,
14: that's correct. The okay, other, the other guy you had on on the radio station, I did say that. But then he, over some time, he he, he did go on the air and he said. Uh, you know, uh, he apologized. And he said for me to call back, so I did. But but it, but, but when he, when your friend Sean mentioned it, it made it look like I was said it regarding your. He,
1: but he didn't say that on Friday, right? Because he, he, no, didn't, he have, didn't. Yeah. No, okay. No, no, so no now did. you're you're going you're deep in, you're digging deep into the archives here.
14: Okay, but anyway, he didn't mention the 21 minutes, which I don't know what happened. but I didn't want to get into it with you, but my phone said 21 minutes. I don't know. Maybe they don't count uh, commercials on your end. Maybe I don't they know. don't. Okay, I just want things in this proper context because then I have to keep calling in to defend myself. Anyway, Mike, I don't want to keep you long, so have a good day and no hard feelings here. Okay, thank you.
1: Thanks, Terry. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you don't have any hurt feelings. We don't want anybody going away from the show with hurt feelings. Nothing but good vibes around here. Kyle, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. Um, Are you getting anybody to talk about the Boeing door plug situation? Because I have a pretty good opinion on it.
1: I would love to hear your opinion on that.
2: Do you know anything about this door plug or not really? Like do you understand why they have door plugs or no?
1: I could not even, you know what? The only thing I can safely and successfully do in a plane is return my tray to the upright position.
2: And you got to keep your seats upright and you got to make sure that the windows open. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so wait, the, is the door plug the one that fell into somebody's backyard, or is the door plug the one that allowed the guy to open the door on the tarmac?
2: No, no, the door plug is the one that fell into somebody's gotcha. last thing airline.
1: Yeah, so what okay. What they do
2: is, is when you look outside the airplane, you see, you know, you got the main exit and then you got your emergency exits over the wing and stuff, right? But when you walk into an airplane, you're not going to see, you know, you might see one of those two exits, but then what they do is they plug that door from the inside of because let's say alaskan airlines you know a max eight might hold 198 passengers but they only need 192 passengers or whatever so they don't need to have the extra emergency exit so what they do is they plug it right and what's going on is, is i guess they, the engineers at boeing and alaska and somebody else i guess missed something that was going on and it's just causing another issue and then alaskan airlines grounded all their airplanes right and now people are getting a up, big uproar about, you know, Boeing and, 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 you know, how how it's a big downfall and all that stuff. And you know what? Yes. Yeah, in aviation, you know, the biggest risk is going to be flying and things happen. I totally get it. And there should never be, you know, nothing should be missed. Like it should be 110% every single time, right? But when people are saying, you know, this is the end of Boeing and all that stuff, it's very hard to say that because. In the aviation world, there are two major air, airline, or well, three technically uh, major airline manufacturers. You have Boeing, you have Airbus, and you have Embraer. And Embryer's, um you know, they're out of Brazil. But the two major ones are Airbus and Boeing. And, and the people keep thinking that you have to go back to every single aviation accident. Airbus went through the same thing when they first brought out the A300. Uh, McDonnell Douglas, when they were around before they got bought out by Boeing, they had issues with the cargo door because the way they designed it. Right. Um, So every every aviation goes through something like this. I think this is just something that Boeing is going through right now. Um, But I think I think everything will be, you know, a couple of years from now, everything will be fine. I just don't like the whole, you know, the the politics involved in it. Right. A couple
1: of years from now, because we'll all have moved on and forgotten. Right. We've got the attention span of a gnat.
2: I mean, you look at the DC-10, it's still flying to this day. The Fed, you know, they use them for FedEx and stuff. And and the MD-11, you know, you look at KLM. They used that thing until 2015 or whatever, right? And again, it was the same thing. The cargo door blew off of it, causing a you know an explosion, and um, you know decompressive explosion. And look at it now; it's, it's considered one of the safest airplanes to fly when they fixed it, right? So, you're right, though, Mike, it'll, it'll be forgotten. But I just want to put my two cents on on the Boeing uh, Boeing situation there. Thanks. Can though, can you
1: before you go? Can you tell me more about the guy that opened the door? Of the plane on the tarmac. Like, I'm so interested in this, not only that the door opened, but that somebody even tried to open it. What is going on with this story?
2: I, I, I heard about it, but I haven't looked into it, Mike, so I can't really comment on it. Should I read? I'll read about it tonight, and I'll, I'll have it like this. I'll call tomorrow, and I'll give you my sense on it. Can't well? you just
1: do like I do and speculate for fun? <laughs> okay, you
2: know what the world is? The world has gone mad, Mike. That's going on. <laughs> That's what I got to say. I don't know. Honestly, the fact that the guy went up and decided to do this, he's lucky that the airplane wasn't in the air. Well, this is what I mean.
1: Like, I just want to know, of all the things I've thought of doing on an airplane, trying to open the door is not one of them. But then maybe, maybe this guy's a hero because he checked the (laughs) the door before it took off. Like, maybe we should all do that now. Check the doors before takeoff.
2: If you're trying to be like that guy that that jumped out of the 727, you know, uh, what was his name, DB something, and they still can not find him to this day. Do you remember that story?
1: I do not remember that story.
2: There was a guy that jumped out of an airplane back, in, and apparently he survived from like thirty thousand feet or twenty thousand feet or whatever. They never found his body, but apparently he's still alive to this day. And it happened in like the sixties or seventies.
1: What do you mean? I'll jumped you- out without? He had a parachute on.
2: I think so. I'll have to send you the. I'll send you the article tonight. There and, you, and read about it. You'll, you'll get a good check out of it. All
1: right, sounds good. All
2: right, thanks, Senator Mike. You
1: later. <laughs> thanks, Kyle. I appreciate the call. That's what the twelve o'clock talk back. Is all about. We'll take a break and come back with more. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Thanks to Kyle for his call a moment ago unlocking one of the great mysteries in FBI history dating back to 1971 it was a great year november of that year shortly after i was born a nondescript man calling himself dan cooper approached the counter of northwest orient airlines in portland Oregon. And the rest, as they say, remains a mystery. He claimed to have a bomb with him and a parachute, and he wanted $200,000 in $20 bills. He then jumped from the plane with a parachute and the ransom money. The pilots landed safely, but D.B. Cooper disappeared into the night and his ultimate fate remains a mystery to this day some 52 years later and nobody is certain what became of one mr d b cooper i love stories like that like i know you're not supposed to steal things and you're certainly not supposed to go on a plane and say guess what i have a bomb like that's definitely not something you should do not in 1971, not in 2024. I promise you that. But stories like this just fascinate the ever-loving bejeepers out of me. And back to that other story about the man who boards a plane at Pearson Airport in Toronto and then promptly opens a cabin door on the opposite side of the plane. Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around this. This is the statement directly from Air Canada, which I'm sure you've heard about. While well, the aircraft was at the gate, a passenger who had boarded the aircraft normally, instead of proceeding to their seat, opened a cabin door on the opposite side of the aircraft. The passenger sustained injuries falling to the tarmac. You think? But this is what I can't wrap my head around. Who does that? Who, like, do you get on board the plane and, and you want to check that all the doors are secure? I've never seen anyone do that. On a flight leaving Chicago one time, the woman sitting next to me made the sign of the cross. I was terrified for the rest of that flight, wondering what she knew and I didn't. But I haven't seen anybody get on a plane yet in my lifetime and check the doors. So either this guy's a hero for checking a door that would have come open later, or at work with me on this one, maybe just maybe looking to cash in because, you know, you open the door of the plane and you fall out onto the tarmac and you get injured... Who do you think is going to be liable for that? I don't know, but I just find it so deeply weird. Was the door ajar? No, far. Well, it's a door. But you know what I mean. Like, Did it look like it was partially open? What makes somebody get on a plane and then open a cabin door on the other side of the plane? The, the man's injuries aside, this is the part of the story <laughs> that absolutely fascinates the heck out of me. All right, Danielle has sent me an email that, in my opinion, it's too early to dredge up this conversation and this debate, but darn it, Danielle, if you want to start it, I'll start it with you, or I'll help you start it. So we'll get to Danielle's email and more of your calls on the 12 o'clock talkback Hour here on the Mike Farwell Show, an update from the City News Center, and then we continue on City News 570. Okay, I told you before the break. I think it might be a little early. I mean, this is what? If you count today, our fourth, maybe, snowfall of the year, and I'm including the one back in November. We had like three this week, right? Anyway, whatever. Danielle sends an email to Mike at 570 newscom And she even begins it with, I just want to drag out the dead horse and start beating it again. As a reminder to folks, okay, just remember, Danielle did this. Make, I'm throwing Danielle right under the bus on this. It's not my fault this time. It's Danielle's fault. Uh, Danielle's email to mike at 570news.com. I just want to drag out the dead horse and start beating it again as a reminder to folks. I have walked over six kilometers today. First of all, kudos on that, especially on a day like this. And the amount of sidewalks not cleared is astounding. And throwing salt on an uncleared sidewalk just creates slush and makes it more difficult to walk on. Also, the city needs to do better at crossings at intersections on main roads. It's a foot deep to crawl over to cross at crosswalks, which makes me think of folks in wheelchairs and people with strollers. It's impossible. Clean your sidewalks. Thanks, Mike. That from Danielle via email to Mike at 570news.com. Danielle, again, kudos on walking over six kilometers on a day like today. Yes, we do need to do a better job of cleaning our sidewalks. It remains my sincere hope that we do not engage in any sort of silliness, in my opinion, whereby we put the city in charge of clearing The sidewalks. It is a really easy job. Yes, if you're on a corner lot, it would take you a little bit longer. I get that. But honestly, just the sidewalk. I don't care what you do with your driveway. I really don't. Make sure there's a path to the mailbox for the mail carrier and the newspaper carrier. Clean the sidewalk. Leave your driveway for all I care. But the sidewalk in front of most homes should take you somewhere between 7 and 12 minutes to clear. Let's just get that part done and make sure it's easy for everybody to get around. If you want to have a conversation about the role of the city in all of this, here is what I would submit to you, and, and here is an argument that I am ready to get behind because as I was shoveling on the weekend, multiple times trying to keep up with the mess, and yes, I'm lucky that I had the time to do that and I'm lucky that I have the ability to do that. I understand. But this is what I was thinking about because it was like the third or the fourth time all winter so far that we've had to shovel. One of my arguments against putting the city in charge of clearing sidewalks is that we are putting them in charge of a service that is not really required. Most municipalities will... Activate service when there's more than five or sometimes even eight centimeters of snow already on the ground. Do you know how many times we get that much snow in a single snowfall? Less than 10 times a year. So, for fewer than 10 occasions a year, we want to have a service that we pay for year round. What I think we should advocate for instead, because I understand the counter to that, well, we do it for the roads. Yes, we do. So let's advocate for less, right? Because that's the situation we're going to find ourselves in 20 years from now as we need the service less and less, right? We're going to have all of this equipment and all of this staff that we continue to pay for and that we need less and less. Let's figure it out. Let's just figure it out. And, and the best way to figure it out is to shovel your damn snow. It's not a lot to ask. It really isn't. And if you are... A landlord, get somebody in your building, reduce their rent by 50 bucks a month or whatever it is, and get them to clear the paths. This is not rocket science. Like I, I, For the life of me, we can put people on the moon. We can build a space station in outer space, and we can't clear sidewalks effectively. It's utterly ridiculous to me. But Danielle wanted to drag out the dead horse, and so it's been dragged out, and beaten on this January the 16th. Let's get back to the phones. Grant, you are on the 12 o'clock back. <laughs> I always get so nervous when Grant starts cackling like
3: that. I think if I was working there with you, I'd lock the door and run away and, and keep you there until you melt. I think that would be kind of fun.
1: How did you know I was melting today?
3: I heard you say that you're hot. You're, yeah, you're sweating or a little bit there. I uh, uh, another thing I want to touch on. Yes, here, sir. Yesterday. Oh, do you think with the trouble that I think it's is it BC with the hydro going out? Al-
1: Alberta, yeah.
3: Alberta, do you think that could happen over here with all the? High-rise apartments and all the electricity, and I overheard. I think Mr. Trudeau wants to reduce hydro. Well, if, if hydro goes out, I need with my for my uh, meditation. I think you could do an interview also with Mr. Trent Swick because Trent did he did an interview with the lady in, in February. My goodness, he's a tall boy. Yes, he is. And you you're short. You're short little
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you Grant. Thank you for that. So Grant wants to see me do an interview with Trent Swick of the Kitchen Rangers, who stands 6 foot 7, just for pure comedic purposes because I probably don't even reach Swick's shoulders. Fair enough. Of all the reasons to do an interview with Trent Swick, how about because You know, maybe he's getting some attention from scouts. Maybe we think he should be drafted to the National Hockey League. How about because he's an all-around good guy? I don't know. I love how Grant just goes in so many different directions, right? It starts out with how hot it is in this studio, which it is, and then it goes to what if we lose electricity here in Ontario because I need my electricity to meditate well, aren't you supposed to meditate in the dark anyway? Like, aren't you supposed to light a candle? Clearly, I don't meditate. And then we move on to Trent Swick and how funny it would be to see short little old me interviewing big old tall drink of water like Trent Swick. I got you, Grant. Maybe I'll grant you that wish. All right. It is with some reluctance that I answer this next call. But heck, I'm a gamer. I'm up for it. Uh, Brittany, good afternoon.
15: Good afternoon, Farwell.
1: You know, usually I would say it is so nice to hear from you. But I don't think I can say that today given yes, you can. No, I don't think what I can't say that given what happened yesterday.
7: Come on, Farwell, go Bills go.
1: Settle down.
7: Oh,
1: Come on. I, I you're lucky like I have not yet declared a second team that shall not be named. I'm a bigger person than that. And listen, you're Buffalo Bills They're a fine team. But can we just agree that Josh Allen is a big, huge baby?
15: Farwell, you would not think those things if he was on your team. Why is that? Because you would think he's doing what every quarterback does. Have you not seen the way that, you know, Patrick Mahomes theatrics things and the way Tom Brady used to not touch Tom Brady?
1: without getting a flag i i really don't like that guy's name please don't talk about (laughs) him anymore okay (laughs) go farwell
15: all right
1: all right Brett. i miss you good luck next week versus patrick mahomes
15: oh
1: thank you oh by the way patrick mahomes and taylor swift because wherever the kansas city chiefs go taylor swift goes these days i was uh, look I was just glad that my weekend of football was Taylor Swift free. It won't be that way next week because somebody in my house is a Kansas City fan. So, oh, I shouldn't have even said that because now, Brittany and Paulie and all of the other members of Bill's Mafia are going to be calling again if Buffalo should be successful again. But yes, the Bills better team. It's a good. It's a good. I was going to say hockey club. It's a good football team. It is, and I'm just happy that the way the game went yesterday, that Pittsburgh gave you a wee scare in the second half. And you know they did. When it was 24-17, you're thinking to yourselves, oh my gosh, like the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to pull off the upset. You thought it too. It's okay. The hardest part is, and I said this to my beloved yesterday, well, that's it. I guess I'll see you in September, boys. That's a long time to wait for your football team to come back. Good thing that in the meantime, I've not only got the Toronto Maple Leafs, I have got the Kitchener freaking Rangers. Oh, yeah, baby. Coming to Guelph tomorrow night, the number one team in the Ontario Hockey League. The top-ranked OHL team in the Canadian Hockey League, according to the rankings that just came out today. The Kitchener Rangers. Glad to have them between football seasons. Mary, it's the 12 o'clock talkback. Good afternoon.
9: Yeah, what did you have in your soup? You're so randy. Am I ranty? Oh my God! You rant on the uh, snow thing. Well, the snow thing
1: makes me cuckoo. That's why.
9: I know. Okay. Okay, but I'm sitting on my bike. Yeah. Uh, we pay for a guy uh, to uh, do our snow clearing, um, and I see. I'm sitting. I was sitting here, and there's a guy. I, I think I know where he lives, but he's doing all of the sidewalks with his snow blower. Up and down and around and all over the place.
1: What a great guy!
9: What a good Samaritan! You betcha! You betcha! Now I'm. Nobody's nobody's mentioned this. I haven't heard any update on the news. Okay. About what? Um, I think it, his name is Fideli.
1: Vic Fideli. Yes.
9: Fideli, um, on the he had two stops: one in Kitchener, one in Waterloo, um, to. They said uh, to talk about the Service Ontario scam.
1: Well, so That's not
9: the news. Put
1: it right. So here's here's the deal. Here's what happens, Mary. And first of all, he he made a couple of announcements related to the economy for a metal um, med tech company, Fluid AI. It's called to help right, with an upgrade, right. uh, but. Well, while he's here, when you get a cabinet minister in your community, then you ask him the questions about the Service Ontario scandal. But I don't know what the answer to the questions have been.
9: No, no, no. But here's the deal. Okay. The U.S. is is very um, protectionist, correct, against Canadian stuff? Sure. So why on earth would our Ontario government uh, pick... Two successful U.S. companies...
1: Excellent question. ...to put... Excellent question.
9: And, like, I'm just... Put livid. them in the home hardware. I'm livid. Well, yeah. Okay. I'm livid. I'm livid. I,
1: I got you, Mary. You how
9: livid I am.
1: How, how livid are you?
9: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going up in smoke. <laughs> Bye-bye,
1: Mike. Bye-bye, Mary. Thank you. You know what? Of all the questions to be asked, that is a fair one, right? Like, why Walmart? Why Staples? Why not an Ontario-based big-box retailer or a Canadian-based big-box retailer? Beats the H-E double hockey sticks out of me, that's for sure. Jason, good afternoon. Mike, how are you? Ah, my friend Jay. I'm okay. You know, like, I I didn't have much hope going into the game yesterday, but I know you're a fellow Steelers fan, so you're probably feeling it a little bit today, too.
0: I wasn't going to call and you're right. I am. I'm, I'm you know, as I get older, I'm I'm OK. I'm, you know, I'm much better now than I was when I was, you know, a few years younger when they lose. Yep. But I wasn't going to call until the Bills fan called. Brittany. <laughs> and, you know,
9: when they win something,
0: let us know. But until they win something other than a football game with their whiny quarterback who took the same hit as our quarterback did. And there was no flag. Exactly. There was a hold on the Josh Allen run. I saw it right in the middle. Um anyways, no, I'm you know, I'm kidding, but kinda of serious. But you know what? It was a it was a decent season. Who knows what's gonna happen next year with Tomlin and the quarterback, but tell these this Bill Mafia, Bill's mafia. We have a whole nation. It's called Steelers Nation. We got a whole nation, not just a mafia. So when they win something, then they can call back a new your show.
1: <laughs> Jason, <laughs> thanks, buddy.
2: Have a great day, Mike.
1: You too. Stay well. Bye-bye. Jason and I actually originally bonded over the Pittsburgh Steelers and craft beer. And look, Jay's not wrong. Steelers have a nation. You can have your Bills Mafia, your little family, your little crime family. We've got the whole nation. And to Jason's point, I mean, I was pretty subtle about this earlier today as well. I don't mind the Buffalo Bills. I'm I'm exactly like Jason just described, I think. I'm getting better as I get older in accepting the losses of my favorite sports teams. Maybe it's with all the practice I've had with the Leafs, right? But I used to take it a whole lot more seriously. And the funny thing for me is growing up, like I I really did, I loathed the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's because as a Steelers fan, I would get annoyed every weekend when I want to watch a Steelers game and all I could get in Southern Ontario was the ding-dang Buffalo Bills. It's like the Buffalo Bills coverage was the only coverage I could get. And what I find funny about that is I hear that from a lot of you about the Leafs, right? I want to watch somebody else. I, I don't want it shoved down my throat. But yet, I became a Leafs fan. Somewhere along the lines, I fell in love first with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Buffalo Bills really annoyed me. And I would be so mean, and I wouldn't recognize any talent on the team, whatever. The Bills are a good team. I wish you luck. But as Jason said, and I subtly alluded to earlier today, uh, we do have six of those trophies called Super Bowls. We being me and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Six of them. The Buffalo Bills, well, appearing in a record setting four in a row, have zero of those Super Bowls. Zero. None. Four in a row, and they lost them all. So better luck this time. We're, we're, gonna, we're hoping for you. Jason and I were pulling for you, Bills fans. And when you win one of those shiny silver trophies, you come back and have a chat with us. And then we'll remind you that you're still five behind. Okay? Okay. Beat my Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday. I'll tell you. All right. Over to Rudy on the 12 o'clock talkback. Hello, Rudy.
0: Hey, long time since I talked to you. Anyway, the Staples thing and uh, Service Ontario. Yes, sir. Ever go into a Staples and try to get help? <laughs> like a rock. Well, Why didn't
3: they choose Canadian Tire? Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, It's Canadian a good question. Tire.
0: Yeah, Canadian Tire by, uh, by uh, Pine Bush and uh, Highway 24 there, Hesler Road. They even let me bring my big dog in.
1: Come on. Yeah, That's they cool. love Max when I come in with them. That's cool. a friendly big guy. And uh, they
3: pet him, they give him treats. And they'd be perfect to have Service
0: Ontario in there. I mean, Doug and his guys, they're, they're not very good at negotiating. I mean, okay, you, you, we'll give you Service Ontario staples, and we'll even pay for all the fittings.
1: Yeah, that's the part that I don't really like.
0: Yeah, that, that doesn't hit me right either. And with, uh, I think there's more Canadian tires in different towns than there is staples.
1: Oh, I suspect you're right.
0: Yeah, so it just makes a better fit.
1: All right, Rudy, I appreciate that call. It is really curious how we ended up here, especially like the retailers chosen and the fact that we as taxpayers are going to foot the bill to retrofit those stores. That part, oh, does that ever chafe my chaps? Like, you got all the money there, big box stores, Walmart and Staples. Retrofit your own stores. We're going to bring you a customer base. Anyway, it's the 12 o'clock Talk Back Hour. We'll take a break and come back with more on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. We are six minutes away from one, at which time we'll get you an update from the City News Center. And then Rob Snow. Getting ready to entertain you until three. Now you know with Rob Snow coming up. Uh, it's not Rob Snow, but it's a different Rob on our twelve o'clock talk back. Hello, Rob.
0: Good afternoon, sir. It's not a Friday night. Do you feel awkward?
1: I do feel very awkward. What? What? To what do I owe this distinct pleasure? <laughs> well,
0: I'm, I'm driving into work late, so I wanted uh, just a, a number of things. Uh, I think we should forget about Walmart and Canadian tires and whether it's an American company or a Canadian company, we should just stick them in the beer store because then all those guys that are buying two-fours at 9.30 on a Saturday morning while I'm on the way into work can get their taxes and their papers at the same time. Secondly, I'd like to say keep feeding the cats. I got a little wild cat. We call her Marmalade. She lives uh, on my deck. I built a box for her and lined it with carpet, and I feed her every day. And uh, go Rangers.
1: And that's pretty much me done in an afternoon. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. Rob is a regular caller to our Rangers talk show after every Kitchener Rangers home game that I do with Paul Fixter. Lots of fun to hear from him during the day. Hey, we can talk anytime on this show. It's a talk radio station, after all. And good afternoon.
15: Oh, hey. How's
1: it going? Oh, hey. It's going well. How's it going with you? <laughs> good, <laughs> good. Good.
15: Um, I'll be brief um just a quick uh, comment or information it's the international student kind of ties with the healthcare so um long story short i'm i'm a nurse in the healthcare and my entire family is and um i have no issues with international students the issue is The government doesn't really give the universities enough money, so the universities take lots of international students because they pay three times the tuition. Therefore, sometimes there's not enough room for um, Canadians. And that happened, my son, who's now done as a radiologist, he had to do med school in the U.S. And my other son's physio and he did his grad school for physiotherapy in the UK because they can't get they couldn't get in here and they they should have, but they the problem with med school and those type of careers is the international students go home. And I and then that adds to our issue with not having enough physicians Surgeons. I was an ICU nurse, and the um, residency programs for specialties um, have 50% of the surgical residents are international, and they all go home when they're done. So we consequently end up with less physicians, surgeons, you name it. Um, that has a play in that. So that the healthcare kind of, you know. I don't think people really realize that, you know, just like my kids, they went to school out of country, and they're practicing in Canada. So just wanted to say that.
1: Thanks, Ann, and thanks for the work you and your family do. I really appreciate it.
15: Okay, you have a good day.
1: Thank you, you as well. Bye-bye. Nice to hear from you on the show today. And on that note, we have to leave it. I'm sorry I can't get to Kelly and Mary today, but remember, the 12 o'clock talk back is part of our show every day. So if you put a pin in it today, I'm happy to entertain the conversation tomorrow. Just bring it back up. We'll talk about all kinds of things. Also on the show tomorrow, it showed up this hour, part of a theme, those Staples and Walmart Service Ontario kiosks. That'll be on the show tomorrow. Plus, our review of regional governance is coming to our community on Thursday. You know how excited this makes me. We'll talk about that and other things on the program tomorrow. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. The Rob Snow Show Now You Know is coming up. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.